tonight on the Midnight Train podcast. Well, I, I don't, I, uh, you know, let's, 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 let's say this. Am I honest? You know, I can say anything. I don't really know what sorry means. I've been sorry all my life. I was sorry I was born, is what my mother told me. Uh, I've been at the bottom of this pile as long as I can remember. Everybody's had permission to bite any part of me they want to chew up. I don't really, honestly, know what a lot of those words mean you guys use. What does sorry mean? Uh, uh, I hurt. I've been beat with the leather strap. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry because I'm hurt or I'm sorry because why did I get beat? I don't even understand why I got beat. I just got beat. Why am I getting beat? Why are you got me in a cell? Why can't I wear clothes? Why can't I do like other human beings? Why do I have to be why am I into this? I'm asking all these whys to myself as you ask those whys to me. I don't know how to deal with this sorry thing, guy. They keep asking me about this remorse thing. I, I'm not, I, I don't have a mind that way. My mind is what works. If something works, it functions. Uh, I, I have a mind in procedure. I understand procedure. I understand war. I understand rules, regulations. I don't understand sorry. Passengers, and welcome to season four, episode 13 of the Midnight Train podcast, where we bring the dark to light. What's that mean? Well, of course, you guys know what that means. We make fun of and joke about creepy shit while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer. And with me, as always, is the man who likes to rock and roll. All night and party maybe on the weekends. He's not quite sure. It's Jeff Butchko. What's going on? Holy crap. We have a jam-packed episode today. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It, it is pretty crazy. Well, first and foremost, happy October. Oh, it is. Today is. Uh, we're recording on October 1st. So, you know, the weather is getting all spooky and, you know, and... You know, we're, we're uh, you know, heading into Halloween territory and the leaves, they are a changing. They are, they are a changing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, talking about these, this episode coming up here, uh, you, you guys heard in the very beginning of this, um, you didn't hear, hear much from Evan this time because uh, old uh, Charles Manson. I think Evan was dumbfounded. Yeah, Charles Manson was talking and he was getting a little aggravated there, wasn't he? He's probably, and you guys are going to discover this as the episode goes on, but he is probably the weirdest cat in history. Well, I'm going to say this real quick. I mean, not, not, well, he's creepy, but he is yeah. straight up weird. Yes. He, he's a very odd individual. And I am going to, and for uh, everyone out there, I'm just going to preface this episode and say, first and foremost, I personally think, and this is my personal opinion, 
that Charles Manson was a batshit fucking crazy asshole. Yeah. Okay. I, I absolutely do. And as we go through this episode, if you don't mo- know much about him, and if you're younger, maybe you're just like, oh, I've heard about that guy. <laughs> Is that Marilyn's dad? Yeah. <laughs> Did he kill a bunch of people and all this? Okay. We're going to discuss this. And for you older cats out there who actually know about him, hopefully we're going to throw some new uh, information at you because I learned a bunch of new stuff. I can't wait because I don't know a lot about him. I know like select things. Right. And if any of you have seen the recent movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie with Brad Pitt and uh Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I have not seen that. So that is, it's not really about Manson, but he has like kind of a role in it. Okay. It's about Sharon Tate, which I'm sure oh, we'll get into. Yeah, we most definitely will. And like the whole thing of what happened with that. Right. So it, it was, it, the movie was a letdown to me because it's, I'm not going to spoil it because it's new. People haven't seen it yet, but it, it's not what you would expect happen if you know the story. Okay. Put it that way. Okay. Well, yeah. So, uh, we're going <laughs> to, we're diving in. Listen, we told you guys we were going to get a little bit darker for, uh, for the Halloween yeah. era here. Era. What do they, what do they call it on the crow? All Saints? Oh, All Hallows Eve. All, right? All Saints Eve. Day or something like that. I don't know. There's like, t- fuck, didn't fired we, up, fired up, fired didn't up. Didn't we do a Halloween episode and we don't remember? I know, I know. <laughs> All right. So you beautiful bunch of dark passengers know that we're just three goofballs and assholes that love history. Well, well, actually, hold on. Two today, yeah. We're two goofballs and assholes because, unfortunately, Mister Moody is going to be uh, taking a little uh, sabbatical. What this happen? You got shot. That's right, Moody. You got shot. <laughs> Let's hope he didn't get shot. But yeah, he's going to be uh, gone from the show for a, uh, a couple of weeks. So, well, I mean, to be honest, his so here's what it is, guys. We'll be honest with the the kid, his kids, which he has many, plural, right? Yes. They're all doing uh, activities and sports, which is great. You know, he he needs to be part of that, you know, so he's got a busy schedule. We support him. We're going to we're going to he's going to help us with the research and fill in when he can. But we're going to we're going to hold the ship together. That's right. As we do. That's right. That's what we do. So your reviews and support really do make all the hard work worthwhile. Seriously, folks, like you guys have no idea how much it means to us in saying that. Please stop over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and give us a five star review. Um, it helps for some reason. Not really sure. You guys can say anything you want to on there. It doesn't really matter. Uh, like you can give us long pig recipes as we have <laughs> requested. Oh, it's so gross. I got to uh, say I'm disappointed in no, the listeners. No long pig recipes? No, I'm disappointed that nobody, not one, submitted a video of would you look at this. Mm. I was really looking forward to not giving one? somebody a free t-shirt of their wow. choosing for free. Maybe, maybe they're still working on it and it's possible, right? Well, we got to have a cutoff at some point, right? Do we? <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> and by the way, if you guys, this stupid chair, it just creaks Creaky. so much. I hate it. So if you hear that in the background, it's, it's a ghost. It's, it's, it's a ghost. So you guys can honestly leave any kind of review you want over there. It literally takes just like a couple of minutes. You just log on to iTunes or, or Apple, whatever. And just go in there and, you know, leave five stars on our podcast. Uh, we have links all over the place uh, in the notes in this. It'll be in there as well. And just say, hey, these guys are funny or these guys are smell. Yeah, they smell really bad. They smell like jobs. You can smell them through my They must be working because they smell like jobs. Yeah. <laughs> they took good gear. <laughs> There's oil on my scream. You can also find us on Spotify and iHeartRadio by typing the Midnight Train Podcast in their search bar and clicking the follow button. You'll then get each episode as they are released. 
And, uh, you know, Patreon subscribers, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed your um, your cannibalism little bonus one that we threw out there to you guys. Uh, it got a little bit gross because we talked about old Albert Fish and his... yeah. Uh, his disgusting fucking there ugh. is something going on with patreon by the way i don't know if you've had any feedback but uh samantha was telling me that it may just be her phone or what app she's listening to but she says it keeps like skipping and starting and stopping well that's fucked up yeah so i don't know if anybody else has given you feedback yet but that we might need to look into yeah, that if you guys are out there our patreon listeners if you're listening to it out there um let me know if you have any problems because we can always send i'll find out something. what she listens yeah. i think it's google Google, uh, yeah, so you guys can sign up over there at uh, Patreon and, uh, you know, it's uh, just go to patreon.com forward slash the midnight dream podcast. Uh, you can also go to our website, which is the midnight dream podcast.com and you can find the link there at the very top of the page. Yeah, that last one was gruesome. I'm sure the Patreon yeah. uh, people can. can I've, I've, I've had a couple people. Say something was, to me about we, it. We kind of went over the uh, rated yeah. R. We, we jumped straight to the fucked yeah. up shit on yeah. that one. Yeah, there was no like, <laughs> there was no sequential whatever. It was the funny part was like when you were done telling the story and you're like, "What do you think of that?" It was just dead silent for like a minute. You're like, "You guys there?" We're like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." It was a fucked up one. Yeah. Uh, so let's turn down the lights, folks. Adjust our seats. Grab a drink and let's get spooky. But first. Here's a toast to all of you. And they don't make harmonies like they used to, huh? They don't, but uh, that song was written by the one and only Charles Manson. And dun, dun, dun. played uh, by the, uh, was it the Beach Boys total or was it just Brian Wilson that did that? Uh, you know, I think it's the actual Beach Boys, but he was friends, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm sure we'll find yeah, out. Yeah, we'll talk about it in here. But I think it was Brian Wilson was like his buddy. Um, before we get started, I do have to say that I am drinking. Um, and the reason I have to say this is uh, it's, uh, hold on, I'm looking at it right now. It's called, and this is for you, all right? But first oh of all, I have to say thank you, Bill Birch, for giving me this beer, because it's absolutely amazing. Bill? Um, uh, Bill? Beer. <laughs> He's my beer buddy. And uh, this one's called Smells Like Bean Spirit. <laughs> no way. Swear to God. <laughs> and it is uh, made, uh, let's see, it's a stout ale uh, with coffee and maple syrup. Oy. Yeah, that's so actually it's a breakfasty beer. Yeah, it's it's dude, it's you can smell it. Yeah, it's pretty good, can huh? Can you guys smell it? Smell. Can you smell it? I'd ask for a swig, but last time that happened, I got COVID <laughs> like two days later. So <laughs> we'll, no, we'll, we'll, we're not sharing yeah, we're shit. No, we're anymore. not sharing anymore. Yeah, there's no more sharing shit. All right, so we are talking about the one and only Charles Manson. Manson was born to a 15 or 16 year old, uh, depending on the source, girl in Cincinnati, Ohio, on November 12th, 1934. Of course, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> um, his mother, Kathleen Maddox, did not even bother to give him a real name on his birth certificate. So as we go through this, you guys are going to find out that he had a, kind of a fucked up childhood. All right. Like legit. And it, it gets pretty fucked up. And it what does. year was this? He was born in 1934. So, he was born in 34. Yeah. Oh, wow. I guess that makes sense. So he was older. He was in the 80s and 70s. Yeah. He was 83 when he passed away in, uh, I think it was 2017. I think. I don't know. Okay. We'll, That's we'll talk weird. about it. I, I would have pegged him like sooner. No, 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 no. He was, yeah, he's, huh. he's an old bastard. 
Um, so like I said, she did not bother to even give him a real name on his birth certificate. And uh, on it, um, he's listed as no name Maddox. <laughs> and that's pretty rare for the 30s. I mean, you know, most people had like this big moral stipulation where like everything was by the book and, you know, you have the family, you have the dad that works and the mom that cooks the food. And right. You know, that's really rare for a baby to just be treated like that. It's very taboo for the time. Yeah. Um, it, it, so there's not 100% surety who his father actually was. Satan. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but most likely it is a man named Colonel Scott Sr. Uh, when Kathleen told him that she was pregnant, he told her he'd been called away on army business, which he lied to her about being in. And after several months, she realized he was not coming back. Wow. Yeah. So it is assumed that uh, this is the father as Kathleen brought a paternity suit against Scott and this led to an agreed judgment in 1937, which is basically a settlement between the two without Scott having to admit to actually being the father. Okay. So within the first few weeks, Kathleen decided on the name Charles Mills after her father. Kathleen um, then had a short-lived marriage to a man named William Eugene Manson. The marriage uh, lasted around three years, during which time Kathleen often went on drinking benders with her brother Luther. <laughs> Luther. <laughs> I got you first. I got you first. That so long. That was so good. You got me off guard. That was a good one. That's an inside Luther. joke, by the way, yeah. folks. That's a, that's a great joke, though. What's so, his... <laughs> So we, we have to explain it now because people are like, yeah, what yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah, does yeah, that yeah, mean? Yeah, go so, ahead, explain it. I, in my youth, <laughs> for fun, you know, back when technology first started with computers, I actually had a phone tap. I was like the first one out of all our friends to have a phone tap. And for fun, on a Friday night, since we were younger, we, you know, we didn't go out. We would take a phone book and we would like play Russian roulette. So we would take the phone book and flip it open as fast as we can and just stick our finger. And wherever it landed, we had to prank that number. Okay. Okay. So this went on and on, and I would record them. This is like before Crank Anchors and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, rem I remember you, you used yeah. to send them over to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up calling a pizza place, and I was able to manipulate my voice through the program I was using. Okay. So I pitch shifted it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really, really far down. Huh. So they'd be like, I would order a pizza, and they'd be like, okay, what's the name? And I'd be like, Luther. <laughs> it was low. And they're like, wait, what? And I'd be like. Pick up for Luther. And it was like super, super low. Like it was Luther, low. Luther. And then put reverb on it at the end. I was like, Luther. The guy's like, why are you so loud? And hung up the phone. Dude, every time I even, like the entire time reading this thing or every time I hear the name Luther, all I think about it is Luther. <laughs> so, in fact, funny story. Hold on. I'm sorry, folks. We're already on our first derail here. Yeah. Um, so my wife was, uh, there was a song that came on our uh, Spotify last night and uh, she was like, oh my God, I love this song. I was like, oh, really? You know this song? Like I'm totally baffled that she knew it. And I was like, who sings it? You know what I mean? Because I'm always like, we test each other. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that's what we do. And she's like, oh, and she couldn't think of it. I was like, it starts with an L. And she's like, ah, uh, uh, Lionel. And I'm like, no. All of a sudden, I look at her. I go, "It's Luther Vandross." Luther, <laughs> did you do? Oh yeah, yeah. Just last night, she's I did like, it. Why did you repeat it? And why <laughs> yeah. was it deeper? She just looked at me like, "What the hell is going on with you?" She doesn't get me. Uh, I'll have to dig that up and see if I can play it for, for yeah, you guys. That'd be awesome. You guys will laugh. It's like a thirteen-year-old me giggling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Luther, Luther. So, all right. So let's get back to his fucked-up childhood here. So she would leave Charles with different babysitters all the time. And uh, this obviously caused issues with William and he filed for divor divorce, citing gross neglect of duty on the part of Kathleen. Charles would retain the last name of Manson after the divorce 
as he was born um, after the two were married. That guy's like, son of a bitch, you're going to ruin my name. I know it. Yeah. I know it. You're yeah. going to ruin my name yeah. someday. Oh, you definitely, yeah. <laughs> During one of her drinking sprees, she had taken Charles with her to a cafe. The waitress commented on how cute Charles was and that uh, she wanted kids of her own. Kathleen said to the waitress, and I quote, pitcher of beer and he's yours. <laughs> The waitress obviously presumed she was kidding, but brought her an extra pitcher of beer anyway, you know, just to be nice. Yeah. Well, true to her word, Kathleen, his mother, finished her pitcher and left, leaving Charles Manson sitting there. so epic. Days later, Manson's uncle would track him down and bring him home. (laughs) What the fuck? Wow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, that happened. I wonder what happened to his mom to make her so... She just had no fucks to give whatsoever yeah so when he was uh, five years old his mother and her brother luther um were arrested for uh robbing a man um uh mother of the year over here obviously uh reportedly luther pressed a ketchup bottle filled with salt into the man's back pretending it was a gun he then smashed the bottle over the man's head and the siblings stole 27 dollars before fleeing police caught up to the pair shortly after and arrested the two kathleen received five years in prison and luther 10 10 fucking years because he's a guy yeah charles was sent to uh, live with his aunt and uncle in west virginia oh boy we have that sample someplace i don't know where it is because fucking moody's not here i know so um biographer uh jeff gwynn or gin that's g-u-i-n-n how the hell you gwynn qui-gon jinn yes uh related a story about manson's childhood uh, when Manson was five years old and living with his family in West Virginia, his uncle reportedly forced him to wear his cousin Joanne's dress to school. Oh boy! As punishment for crying in front of his first grade class. This poor bastard. In the biography, uh, Gwen shares his perspective. "Quote: It didn't matter what some teacher had done to make him cry. What was important was to do something drastic that would convince Charlie never to act like a sissy again." End quote. That's some Joe Jackson shit dude, right it's there. Fucked up. I'm telling you, the dude went through some <laughs> shit. Well, no I'm not why. saying that, but it's that whole nature nurture thing, dude. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, you, I mean, uh, anyway, we aren't gonna get into it. In first grade, uh, Manson persuaded girls to beat up the boys he didn't like. <laughs> He's already <laughs> persuading girls. Nice. And if you don't know about Manson, you're gonna find out that he has a knack for doing that. Yeah. You He's know got what I mean? Special talent. Very special talent. This this is first grade. He's doing this. And when the principal questioned him, Manson offered the same defense he would later use after influencing his family to commit the Tate-LaBianca murders. He said, quote, it wasn't me. They were doing what they wanted, end quote. Yeah, he's uh, starting off great there. So in 1942, the prison released Manson's mother, Kathleen, on parole after she served just three years. When she returned home, she gave Manson a hug. He later described this is uh, his only happy memory from uh, from childhood. A few weeks after this homecoming, the family would move to Charleston, West Virginia. That's where your uh, lovely host here is actually born. Thank you very much. Really? Yeah, I was born in Charleston. Oh, shit. So it's something in the water then, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all just we're all just one second away from yeah. just... You guys drink out of the same well, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Roping that bucket up. It's like, <laughs> everybody come get some. Who's thirsty? <laughs> just sitting here. <laughs> it's going to happen. I swear to God. So here Manson would constantly be truant from school and his mother continued her uh, hard drinking ways. Of course she did. His mother was again arrested for theft, but uh, this time was not convicted. After this, the family would move yet again, this time to Indianapolis. While in Indianapolis, his mother met an alcoholic with the last name Lewis while attending 
AA meetings. Oh, boy. The two would marry in 1943. That same year, Manson claims to have set his school on fire at the age of nine. What's that mustache? You need to take a tinkle. We'll be right back after this message. And now an email from passenger Robert DuPont. Hey guys, it's Rob DuPont from Walmart. So I've only been doing the Walmart duty for a couple months, but one thing pretty funny happened to me a couple weeks ago. So I was about halfway through my shift and a man walks up without a mask. So I do what I always do and tell him that uh, wearing a mask is mandated by the state of New York and, and mandatory to enter the store. He then proceeds to start screaming at me about how I'm a communist orchestrating the takeover and implement of a new world order by the left. Just as I start to yell back, two women run out of the store with asset protection behind them. Knowing this yelling match with this man will go nowhere, I decide to join the chase. The women split in opposite directions, so I chase the one to the right. So we're running through the parking lot, her hands pressed against her chest because she's wearing a tube top. I shit you not, this woman tripped on air. Her front leg buckled and then back followed. Now, what's the first thing you do when you trip? You put your hands down, right? Now she did the same, uh, she, now she did the same bringing her tube top down with them. She eats pavement, rolls over and sits up, tits just enjoying the breeze. Now she must be in shock because it takes a few seconds for her to realize her top fell. And as she goes to fix herself, the only thing that I could get out of her, out of her, out of my mouth is stop, don't move. As it came out, I heard how creepy it was, and I turned around to radio asset protection our location. She took the opportunity opportunity to get up and run again. At that point, I just let her go. After staring at her boobs for 10 seconds, after chasing her through the parking lot, I just felt like I was a rapey-looking situation. So there you go, my most interesting moment in Walmart security so far. Well, it's time to return back to the show. I'm glad you stayed and didn't leave. Oh. All right, so we're talking about the one and only Charles Manson here. So at the age of 13, Manson was placed into the Gabalt School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana. The school was for delinquent boys and run by strict Catholic priests. Oh, boy. You know, that's... <laughs> uh, put two and two together, folks. Yeah, boy. Yeah. There were severe punishments for even minor infractions, obviously. These included uh, beating uh, with a wooden paddle or lashes from a leather strap. Manson escaped the school and slept in the woods under bridges and pretty much anywhere he could find shelter. He made his way back home and spent Christmas of 1947 with his aunt and uncle back in West Virginia. After this, his mother sent him back to the school where he would escape yet again 10 months later and headed back to Indianapolis. There, in 1948, he would commit his first known crime. He would rob a grocery store looking for something to eat, but came across a box containing around $100. He would take this and get a hotel room in a shitty part of town and buy food as well. So he's starting off a little bit young here, you know. All right. So, you know, I mean, you know, apple tree. And he's got no fucks to give. Zero. Zero fucks at this point. Yeah. So after this robbery, he tried to get on the straight and narrow by getting a job delivering messages for Western Union. Oh, like a bike messenger? I, I, yeah, I guess. I would assume so. Something well, yeah, right? It'd have to be. Yeah. <laughs> Do you imagine the fucked up messages yeah. you'd have to deliver, though? <laughs> I would have You know, because back then, I mean, like, say, like, I don't know, somebody died in the war. Like, you have to knock on the door and, like, Oof. the wife answers. It's yeah. like, hello, I have a telegram for you. Your husband died. His body will be here in two weeks. Have a good day. Oh, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, yeah. back then they were all like, that, 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 you know? <laughs> Wouldn't be able to do it. So the straight path he was on uh, would not last long, though. As he started to supplement his income with petty theft, he was caught, and in 1949, a judge sent him to Boys Town, a juvenile Boys facility. Town. <laughs> it doesn't sound at all appealing to me. It's a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. After spending a whopping four days at Boys Town, Manson and a fellow student named Blackie Nielsen <laughs> oh, obtained a gun and stole a car. The boys decided to head to Nielsen's uncle's house in Peoria, Illinois. Along the way, uh, they would commit two armed robberies. When they got to the uncle's house, uh, who was a professional thief, they were recruited as apprentices in thievery. Manson was arrested a couple weeks later as part of a raid, and during the subsequent investigation was linked to the two earlier armed robberies. He was then sent to the Indiana School for Boys, another very strict reform school. So he's in, he's out. He's committing crimes, he's going to jail. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's it's, it's a rough life for old it's one of those things Charlie where, like, Manson. you know, in raising children, you go through this as well. And it's one of those things where, you know, they rebel and you almost you almost don't go overboard with it because you're because of the fear of them rebelling even further, you know? Right. So when they rebel, you're kind of like, ah, oh, fuck. And right. You're just like, well, you don't want to go too said, far like, with it. Baby guidelines, you know, like little, yeah. little guidelines. But then you pray to God they don't go through that. Right. You know, right. Right. For sure. Yeah. And he's just like, fuck it. Let's do everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So at the reform school, Manson alleged to, and sorry about this, folks, to have been raped by other students at the urging of a, a staff member. He was also beaten very often and ran away from the school 18, that's right, 18 times. Oh, boy. A lot of times. Yeah. You would think after like the first 10 or so, <laughs> they'd be like, just keep an eye on that son of a bitch. Yeah. Or but, yeah. carry like a shiv or something. Something. So Manson developed what he called, quote, the insane game as a form of self-defense while at, uh, at the school. When he was physically unable to defend himself, he would start screaming and screeching, making faces and grimacing and waving his arms all over the place in an attempt to make his attackers think he was insane. That's very smart, actually. Yeah, yeah I mean, why not? That's all you got. That's all you got. Yeah. You know, yeah. So after all of his, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, failed attempts at running away and escaping, he finally succeeded in escaping with two other boys in February of 1951. The three boys decided to head to California, stealing cars and robbing gas stations all along the way. Damn it, I wish I had that song. Dun, 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 California love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't bail for shit out jail, California dreaming. Sorry. They ended up getting arrested in Utah, and Manson was sent to the National Training Center for Boys in Washington, D.C. for the federal crime of driving a stolen car across state lines. You see a, a reoccurring pattern here. Yeah, a little bit. When he got to the center, he was given a test that determined he was illiterate, even though he showed a slightly above average, uh, slightly above average IQ of 109. Average in the U.S. is uh, right around 98 to 100. Oh, good for you! <laughs> His caseworker also deemed him quote, aggressively antisocial, end quote. Well, I mean, yeah, given what happened. Yeah. His mom traded him for, what was it, a pitcher of beer? A pitcher of beer. Yeah. Yeah. And raped 18 times yeah. in boys' town. Well, yeah, I don't know how many times he was raped, but yeah, no, he escaped 18 wow. times. Yeah. Oh, you see, I thought he was raped 18 times. No. That's what you said. No. He I was like, Jesus. I don't know. He could have been. Like, you think he'd have a shiv after like the second time. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that's what you're you know talking about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was talking about him escaping, oh, not getting I raped. he got raped 18 times. Jesus. All right. God, you go dark all yeah, the time, I don't know. you? Rewind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when Charlie was being uh, considered for transfer to uh, 
uh, Natural Bridge Honor Camp, a minimum security institution, a psych, uh, psychiatric evaluation. Evaluation. Wow, my mouth is fucking. Evaluation? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it was required. On October 24th, 1951, Charlie was transferred to the Natural Bridge Honor Camp in Petersburg, Virginia. His parole hearing was scheduled for February 1952. On October 24th, 1951, when his Aunt Joanne visited, she promised Charlie and the authorities that when he was released, she and his Uncle Bill would look after him, provide him with a place to live, and a job. All right, sounds like things could be turning around for old Charlie, right? Old Chuck Nasty. Yeah. Yeah. So psychiatrist Dr. Block explained in a prison and probation report that his life of abuse, rejection, instability, and emotional pain had turned him turned him into a slick but extremely sensitive boy. Quote, Manson tries to give the impression of trying hard, although actually not putting forth any effort. Marked degree of rejection, instability, and psychic trauma. Constantly striving for status. A fairly slick, institutionalized youth who has not given up in terms of securing some kind of love and affection from the world. Dangerous. Should not be trusted across the street. Homosexual and assaultive. Tendencies. Safe only under supervision, unpredictable. In spite of his age, he is criminally sophisticated and grossly unsuited for retention in an open reformatory type institution. He's a stand-up guy. Yeah, she basically said, click, 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 fuck <laughs> this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That was just, yeah. Can you imagine, like, the conversation she probably had with him? You oh, know? boy. Like, the therapy sessions? They're, they're probably insane, I bet. Oh, that'd be awesome to get some tapes on I that. Know, I know. Freaking go nuts. In January 1952, less than a month before his parole date, Charlie sodomized a boy with a razor to his throat. He was reclassified as dangerous and transferred to a tougher, higher security lockup facility, the Federal Reformatory at Petersburg, Virginia. So old Charlie's uh, not a not a good dude. No. Not a good He's not turned out to be a good guy at this point. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say that. Like, it sounds like, yeah, sounds like he's bad. There's no hope. Yeah. Doesn't sound good. So by August of 1952, he had eight major violations, including three sexual assaults, uh, assaults, assaults. He was classified as a dangerous offender and characterized as defiantly homosexual, dangerous and safe and only under supervision. What the fuck is wrong with my mouth today? <laughs> Jesus. It said uh, smells like bean spirit. I've had one sip of it. Yeah, that's what it'll do to you. <laughs> I guess. So. September 22nd, 1952, Charlie was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Chillicothe, Ohio. Yeah, because, you know, the 40 other reformatories didn't work, so let's try another one. Uh, which was a higher security institution. He was, quote, a model prisoner. There was a major improvement in his attitude. He learned to read and understand math. On January 1st, 1954, he was honored with a um, Meritorious Service Award for his scholastic accomplishments and his work in the transportation unit for maintenance and repair of institution vehicles. See, he was smart enough to play the game. He's like, I know how to get out of this shit. Sounds. Stop it from happening. And it could be what it is. And it's it very well could be. You know? I mean, because you uh, ever uh, hear about um, Edmund Kemper? Uh-uh. Uh, he was a serial killer that got locked up for killing his grandparents. And he basically was so smart, like a uh, genius level IQ, that he convinced everyone that he was cured and he was completely fine. And then he got out and ended up killing a bunch of girls and his no mother. And yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. He's still in prison. And you can actually, uh, the movie Mindhunter, or that movie, the TV show Mindhunter on Netflix. Yeah. He's actually characterized in that. Oh, really? Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while incarcerated at Chillicothe, Charlie met the notorious American syndicate gangster Frank Costello, a.k.a. Prime Minister of the Underworld. That's a 
fucking great nickname. That is. That's tough. That's tough. Like you walk into an Italian restaurant and everyone's like, <gasps> yeah. You hear like the forks hitting the hey, plates. Like, oh. I'm the prime minister of Yonawa. <laughs> I want extra garlic bread. I want extra garlic bread over here. If you don't give it to me, <laughs> old Frankie over here, <laughs> it's going to break your fucking knuckles. I'll go home and get your fucking shine box. <laughs> yes. So uh, he was a, a close associate of the powerful underworld boss, Lucky Luciano. That's a, oh, bad, yeah. that's a bad motherfucker there. In the book, Manson, in his own words, from 1986 by Noel Emmons, Manson, obviously impressed by with, uh, with Costello's professional crime background, states, quote, when I walked down the halls with him, Costello he's talking about, or sat at the same table for meals, I probably experienced the same sensation an honest kid would get out of being with Joe DiMaggio or Mickey Mantle, admiration bordering on worship. To me, if Costello did something right or wrong, that was the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, I admired Frank Costello, and I listened to and believed everything he said, end quote. So he's looking up to mob bosses. Yeah, he found his hero. Right. Probably not a great role model, I would say. Well, I mean, given his growing up yeah, yeah, yeah you know i'm just saying like probably not the best role model in the world you teach him how to laundry money yeah yeah i yeah. teach him to do a lot of shit <laughs> a lot of the fucking cement block trick yeah all right <laughs> the cement shoes yeah. i'll give him cement shoes over here um charlie's parole on may 8th 1954 stipulated that he'd live with aunt joanne and uncle bill in mcmeckin i'm gonna say mcmeckin west virginia now at 19 years old oh boy yeah for the first time since his mother gave him up when he was 12, Charlie was legally free. Right, so he's only 19 at this point. The cage is unlocked. Right. So he's actually free. Soon after Manson gained his freedom, his mother was released from prison. She moved to nearby Wheeling, West Virginia, and soon Charlie moved in with her. Doesn't sound. We've been to Wheeling, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Wheeling's. Uh, it's we played down there, right? Yeah, it's north. Yeah, okay. north. North. West Virginia. Oh, boy. Yeah. So in January 1955, Manson married a hospital waitress named Rosalie Jean Willis. Around October, about three months after he and his pregnant wife arrived in Los Angeles in a car he had stolen in Ohio, Manson was again charged with a federal crime of, uh, for taking the vehicle across state lines. What the fuck, dude? Imagine the caliber of woman that oh, yeah. she, she was. She's a peach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> after a psychiatric evaluation, he was given five years probation. All right, not too bad. Manson's failure to appear at a Los Angeles hearing on an identical charge filed in Florida resulted in his March 1956 arrest in Indianapolis. Damn. His probation was revoked. He was sentenced to three years imprisonment at Terminal Island, San Pedro, California. Back in jail. Back on the... Back in the what is it? The chain gang? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it is? The chain, yeah. the chain gang? I don't know if they had chain gang. So she was pregnant? Yes. Did she have the baby? Let's discuss. Yeah. So while Manson was in prison, Rosalie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. Oh, Christ. Fuck that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, during his first year at Terminal Island, Manson, uh, Manson received visits from Rosalie and his mother, who were now living together in Los Angeles. In March 1957, when the visits from his wife ceased, his mother informed him Rosalie was living with another man. Less than two weeks before a scheduled parole, parole hearing, Manson tried to escape by stealing a car. He's got to think about cars. Yeah. Fucking crazy. He was given five years probation and his parole was denied. Manson received five years parole in September 1958, the same year in which Rosalie received a decree of divorce. So he said, fuck that. I'm divorcing this bitch. So he divorced her while he, while he was in prison? Apparently. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So and the whole time she's out there like, well, we're waiting. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> so by November, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional support from a girl with wealthy parents. Uh-oh. In September 1959, he uh, pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox. The latter charge was later dropped. He received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman named Leona, who had an arrest record for prostitution, made a, quote, tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were, quote, deeply in love and would marry if Charlie were freed, end quote. These girls are gaga for this dude, man. I mean, he's just got this... He had this thing about him, like just manipulative uh, yeah. as shit, you know, yeah. like fucking what? He's, he's like, uh, like Chris Angel, mind freak and uh, David Blaine. He can do the magic, <laughs> like, you know, he's got that Jedi mind yeah, yeah, shit going on. His hand. He's like, yeah. you will love me. This is not the love you were looking for. <laughs> Before uh, the year's end, the woman did marry Manson, possibly so she would not be required to testify against him. Manson took Leona and another woman to New Mexico for purposes of prostitution, resulting in him being held and questioned for violating the Man Act. You think he'd go under the radar once in a while, but it, he just like doesn't care. Full bore, dude. Yeah, full bore. Like, Pedal to the metal, buddy. He's just going for it. Though he was released, Manson correctly suspected that the investigation had not ended. When he disappeared in violation of his probation, a bench warrant was issued. An indictment for violation of the Man Act followed in April 1960. Following the, rest, uh, the arrest of one of the women for prostitution, Manson was arrested in June in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to Los Angeles. For violating his probation on the check-cashing charge, he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence. Back in jail, back in jail. Manson spent a year trying unsuccessfully to appeal the revocation of his probation. In July 1961, he was transferred from the Los Angeles County Jail to the United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island, Washington. There, he took guitar lessons from Barker Carpus gang leader Alvin Creepy Carpus. <laughs> wait, wait. That's a name? His name, it's uh, apparently the gang name was the Barker Carpus gang, and uh, the leader was Alvin Creepy Carpus. Interesting. Yeah. And he uh, obtained uh, from another inmate a contact name of someone at Universal Studios in Hollywood, a person named Phil Kaufman. According to Jeff Gwynn's 2013 biography of Manson, his mother moved to Washington State to be closer to him during his McNeil Island incarceration, working nearby as a waitress. Although the Man Act charge uh, had actually been dropped, the attempt to cast the Treasury check was still a federal offense. Manson's September 1961 annual review noted he had, quote, a tremendous drive to call attention to himself. Well, no fucking shit. Yeah. An observation echoed in September of 1964. In 1963, Leona was granted a divorce. During the process, she alleged that she and Manson had a son, Charles Luther. 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 According to a popular urban legend, Manson auditioned uh, unsuccessfully for the monkeys in late 1965. I have heard that before. This is refuted by the fact that Manson was actually still incarcerated at McNeil Island at that time. So there's too many Charles Mansons running around at this point. Yeah. He's trying out for the monkeys, and the monkeys are like, fuck you. <laughs> hey, hey, we're not Manson. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still just running around like, you know what? I don't give a shit. I'm going to do what I want. Right. He's, he's a he's And a we're peach. at, what, the 60s now, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in June 1966, Manson was sent for the second time to Terminal Island in preparation for early release. 
By the time of his release day on March 21st, 1967, he had spent more than half of his 32 years in prison and other institutions. This was mainly because he had broken federal laws. Federal sentences were and remain much more severe than state sentences for many of the same offenses. Telling the authorities that prison had become his home, he re- requested permission to stay. <laughs> I mean, he's like three course meal, yeah, clean clothes, three know. hots and a cot, bro. Shit, nowadays you get Netflix and Wi Fi and all yeah, that I'm stuff. Yeah, I'm sure they know? get all that shit. Now, listen, Nintendo Wii. <laughs> right. That's something that all you people out there, all you beautiful passengers, need to listen to. If you are thinking about or know someone that's thinking about breaking a crime, make sure it's not a federal crime because that shit is way worse. What's that mustache? You need to take a tinkle. You'll be right back after this message. Ciao, it's Mary. Oh, how you are? How you are? That's what I sing. I sing, you know, just, you know, just however I feel. Well, it's time to return back to the show. I'm glad you stayed and didn't leave. Oh. He was so musically talented. Like, I can't believe <laughs> Is that what nobody, that? nobody picked him. Like, how come Quincy Jones wasn't like, we need this guy. We need him now <sighs> to do a duet with Michael. You know what I mean? Like, he just, he had it. He had what it takes to be did the he, ultimate He had artist. the wow factor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you heard his voice there in the break. It was, was amazing. It was pretty pretty epic i'm actually jealous man i wish i could sing like that <laughs> so in 1967 32 32 year old charles manson was released from prison once again dun, dun, dun. This is, this is like 20 times yeah now? yeah this time from a correctional facility in the state of washington he then made his way to san francisco and quickly found a home in the counterculture movement there Manson created a cult. A.K.A. hippies. Right? <laughs> right? Dirty, stinky hippies. Nah, I, I would assume so. Hey, yeah, back man, then, yeah. You going to California? Yeah, brother, get in the car. All right, man. Peace but, and love. But that's what it was back then, man. <laughs> it was free love. It was free everything. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess. Everyone was like against the tyranny of the world, man. Yeah, you know? they didn't shower and they were hairy and just, it was weird. It was a weird time. So Manson created a cult around himself called The Family that he hoped to use to bring about Armageddon through a race war. He named this scenario Helter Skelter after the 1968 Beatles song of the same name. Living mostly by begging, Manson soon became acquainted with Mary Bruner, a 23-year-old graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Bruner was working as a library assistant at the University of California, Berkeley, and Manson moved in with her. Sounds smart. And again, that Jedi magic. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, he had it. So you're a librarian, huh? <laughs> you want to go back to your place? <laughs> okay. All right, let's go. <laughs> According to a secondhand account, he overcame, uh, overcame her resistance to his bringing other women in to live with them. Before long, they were sharing Bruner's residence with 18 other women. Wow. Where, where are you at, Chainsaw? Where are you? There you are. <laughs> wow. There it is. So Manson established himself as a guru in San Francisco's uh, Haight-Ashbury district, which during 1967's Summer of Love was emerging as the signature hippie locale. Yeah, that was like the hippie mecca yep. 
it still is like they kept they've kept it i don't know if you've ever been out there have you i've been to san francisco i don't know if i've ever been there i think so uh, we got off the plane and then we went to uh what is it the um china like china chinatown Chinatown? yeah we went to Chinatown. yeah that's all i did i have family members that have gone there and they showed me pictures and it's like hey ashbury it's still like the exact like all the shops are there all the head shops and it's still like They've kept it like in a time capsule, basically. Really? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know now about the wildfires; probably burned it to shit. But I don't oh, know. yeah, that's that's fucked up out there, man. Oof. Well, hey, global warming caused it, right? Is that I what mean, happened? That's for another story. But. Okay. Manson appeared to have borrowed his philosophy from the Process Church of the Final Judgment, whose members believe Satan would become reconciled to Christ, and they would come together at the end of the world to judge humanity. Manson soon had the first of his group of followers, which have been called the Manson family, most of them female. Manson taught his followers that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians and that the Romans were the establishment. He strongly implied that he was Christ. He often told a story envisioning himself on the cross with the nails in his feet and hands. So I'll go back to that movie I talked about in the beginning, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie just came out. Yeah. There's a lot of scenes that deal with the Manson family in that movie, which is what you're describing in California. Like where I won't spoil it too much, but like at one point, Brad Pitt, he's a stuntman. Okay. He's going to the he's doing something for a friend, if I remember right. Like he's either dropping a friend off or going to pick up a friend or something or visit a friend. Jerking a friend off. Yeah. And he ends up getting there and it, it ends up being a Manson family compound. And the people are just so fucking like it's so like Tarantino did a good job of making these people like act like really just bad shit out there, you just know, fucking losing it the whole time. It's just you're very like on edge watching like, oh, my God, this dude's he's going to get shipped <laughs> like it's going to happen. So watch that movie. I'm going to have to watch that, yeah. too. And listen, for our, uh, anyone out there in San Francisco, um, if uh, by any means, um, if, if it's still like that in the hate Ashbury area, I would I would like to know. I would also like to know is rice aroni the treat? Ooh. Because I've heard. Is that even around anymore? It is the San, Fran- San Francisco treat, but. I only know that from um, Price is Right. <laughs> it was always one of the ones on the Price is Right. You know, Bob Barker's like. Boom, 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 boom. All right. <laughs> when they get it, when it flips around. All right, Tim. What's the price on this for the brand yeah. new 1967 Mercury Mercur? I don't even know if that was a real car back then. So anyway, sometime around 1967, uh, Manson began using the alias Charles Willis Manson. He often said it very slowly. Charles Will is man's son. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't the right button, sir. Nice. Or, or was it? It was. So implying that his will was the same as that of the son of man. Before the end of the summer, Manson and eight or nine of his enthusiasts piled into an old school bus they had re-wrought in hippie style with colored rugs and pillows in place of the many seats they had removed. Yeah, man. (laughs) Groovy, man. Hey, man. They roamed as far north as Washington State, then southward through Los Angeles, Mexico, and the uh, American Southwest. Returning to Los Angeles, um, to the Los Angeles area, they lived in Topanga Canyon, Malibu, and Venice, western parts of the city and county. Having learned how to play guitar in prison, he did his best to wow artists like Neil Young and the Mamas and the Papas. I would love, I would love <laughs> to go back in time. Just be a fly on the wall. Be a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got this album called Harvest Moon. What do you think about it, Charlie? <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I hate Neil Young. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I can't. Not I can't. I think I can't he's like behind. the most talentless, just horrible. Listen, as artist. a songwriter, I, I give him credit for what he does, but that dude should never have been a singer at oh all. I just can't. I can't get into it. And if you guys out there are like Neil Young, first, I'm sorry for your bad taste in music. And secondly, I'm not sorry. It's just he sounds I'm like he sounds like a Muppet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a woman in the street with a baby in her hand. So, but the greatest part here, Jeff, is his idiosyncratic folk music failed to generate enthusiasm until he was introduced to Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Oh, it's Dennis Wilson. Wait, what? Yeah, I, I didn't know, know there was a Dennis. I thought it was. That's what got to be one Jesse, of the brothers, right? Now, <laughs> Who saw talent in Manson's playing? God, how high was he? He, Right. Wilson allowed Manson and several of his quote-unquote girls who had by now begun coalescing around him because they believed he was a guru with prophetic powers. Okay, okay. Now, we're not. I'm not going to try and get sexist on this, but dudes out there listening, okay, let's add up. Let's add up the facts. Hanging out on a hippie bus with like, what, 18, 10 girls and Charlie. Did you say 18, 10? I say 18 or 10, give give or take, right? <laughs> Most people would say 10 to 18. Or 10 to 18. <laughs> he said 18, 10. I have a different way of approaching things. It's called backwards. <laughs> it's dyslexic. So anyways, let's add up. Let's add it up. Okay, dudes out there. You're on a bus full of chicks. And Manson's strumming this guitar and it sounds like crap. You know, he's not even hitting frets and notes and all that. And you're high as a kite and you're just kind of sitting there. And you're looking around at all these girls and you're like, yeah, man, you've got it. You're talented. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's talking it up. Yeah. So he can get with the chicks. Oh, it still happens to this day. You know damn well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that's something that that's going to happen forever. I mean, unfortunately, because guys are dirt bags. Yeah. Period. That's all they are. But then Dennis goes back to the Beach Boys and they're like, bro, what'd you do? <laughs> what the fuck is this? He's like, nah, I was just playing. <laughs> I was just playing. So anyway... He actually had these girls and Manson move in with him in June of 1968. So Wilson eventually kicked them out after they began causing trouble. But Manson later accused the Beach Boys of reworking one of his songs and including it in their 1969 album 2020 without crediting him. And that's the song we played at the beginning of the, uh, the show. In 1967, Bruner became pregnant by Manson and on April 5th, uh, April 15th, 1968, gave birth to a son. She named Valentine Michael, whose nickname was Pooh Bear. Okay. Pooh Bear Manson. So Pooh Bear Manson. So you got two Charlie Mansons, juniors, and a Pooh Bear Manson. Pooh Bear Manson. Uh, and they lived in a condemned house in Topeka oh, Canyon. Lava. <laughs> uh, assisted during the birth by several of the young women from the family. Bruner, uh, like most members of the group, acquired a number of aliases and nicknames, including, oh boy, Marioche, Och, Mother Mary, Mary Manson, Linda D. Manson, and Christine Mary Utes. Huh. So like apparent. Utes, like the potato chips? Uh, what? You ever seen those? I don't think so. Like Speedway and uh, Sheets. Mm-mm. This is a uh, EUTZ, is that? Oh, shit? no. This is EUCHTS. Yeah, same thing. Utes. Yeah. Utes. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So Manson established a base for the family at the Spawn Ranch in August 1968 after Wilson's landlord evicted him. Or evicted them, sorry. It had been a television and movie set for Westerns. This is the movie. Yeah. Oh, oh, I was oh, is referring it? to the movie where Brad Pitt goes, he goes to the Nice. Ranch. But the buildings had deteriorated uh, by the late 1960s and the ranch's revenue was primarily derived from selling horseback rides. 
Female family members did chores around the ranch and occasionally had sex on Manson's orders with the nearly blind 80-year-old owner, owner, uh, owner George Spahn. And that's the guy that Brad Pitt goes to see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking fucking. You got to watch the movie now that we've talked about. Yeah, this. I'm going like, to have to watch yeah, this now. Because it's all going to come together. You'll be like, what the fuck? Can you imagine that? Yeah. It's like, hey, you need to go over there and take care of old man Spawn so we can stay here. Yeah. Well, the- and he's like, yeah, <laughs> take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how it is in the movie. The women also acted as uh, seeing eye guides for him. The guy couldn't even see. <laughs> He's blind. What the fuck? Yeah. In exchange, Spawn allowed Manson, uh, Manson and his group to live at the ranch for free. Lynette Frome acquired the nickname Squeaky because she often squeaked when Span or Spawn pinched her thigh. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Watson, a small-town Texan who had quit college and moved to California, soon joined the group at the ranch. He met Manson at Wilson's house. Watson had given Wilson a ride while Wilson was hitchhiking after his car was wrecked. Spawn nicknamed him Tex because of his pronounced Texas drawl. Manson follower Diane Lake, just 14 when she met Manson, detailed long nights of lectures in which Manson instructed others at the ranch to take LSD and listen to him preach about the past, present, and future of humanity. I feel like you would have to be fucking on LSD. How fun would that be? I mean, would it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I <laughs> okay. think so. You guys should see the look on Jeff's face right now. <laughs> he looks like a little kid who just opened a present. Oh, yeah. like how fun would yeah, that like be? You, just, you drop some acid, and you're on this ranch. It's an old movie set. makes it even more fucked up, because you don't know if you're in a movie at that point, because you're tripping your balls off. Oh, yeah. You're- and then you got this guy out there like, hey! you know and his mouth is like opening up like a dragon (laughs) his face is melting as you're talking to him (laughs) I love you man so with his family coming together Manson began his work with Helter Skelter the following excerpt about Helter Skelter is taken from Wikipedia you know you know because we love it the sources were double checked for accuracy and we just figured this would be a quick review we have added a few things to fill it out so uh, you know don't come at us you know what I'm yeah, saying? Just saying. Fact checkers. In the first days of 19 or November 1968, Manson established the family at alternative headquarters in Death Valley's environs where they occupied two unused or little used ranches, Myers and Barker. The former, to which the group had initially headed, uh, was owned by the grandmother of a new woman, Catherine Gillies, in the family. The latter was owned by an elderly local woman, Arlene Barker, to whom Manson presented himself and a male family member as musicians in need of a place congenial to their work. You know, he wanted a place to jam. Yeah, we need a studio, right, bro. Dude, I need a rehearsal spot, man. Yeah. You want to hear a song? Check it out. Yeah, just fucking blow your mind. First, you got to take this. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> it sounds, no, it's, it's going to sound way better, man, if you take this. <laughs> when the woman agreed to let them stay, if they'd fix things up, Manson honored her with one of the Beach Boys' gold records, several of which he had been given by Wilson. Okay. So they're still bros. I guess, yeah. So while back at Spawn Ranch, no later than December, Manson and Watson visited a Topanga Canyon acquaintance who played them the Beatles' recently released double album, Al- Al- album. Jesus. <laughs> ah, the Beatles, also known as the White Album. Manson became obsessed with the group. At McNeil Island Prison, Manson had told fellow inmates, including Carpus, that's creepy Carpus for that's all right. out there paying attention, that he could surpass the group in fame. 
<laughs> you know what, man? I can be bigger than the Beatles. Man, I'm telling you right now, Beatles are good. But if you take this LSD, except Ringo, Ringo sucks. <laughs> it's, fuck Ringo, man. Yeah. <laughs> the three Beatles. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. So to the family, he spoke of the group as quote the soul and quote part of the whole in the infinite. For some time, Manson had been saying that uh, racial tensions between blacks and whites were about to erupt, predicting that blacks would rise up in rebellion in America's cities. On a bitterly cold New Year's Eve at Myers Ranch, as the family gathered outside around a large fire, Manson explained that the social turmoil he had been predicting had also been predicted by the Beatles. Uh, The White Album songs, he declared, foretold all in code. In fact, he maintained, or at least who would maintain, the album was directed at the family, an elect, uh, elect group that was being instructed to preserve the worthy from the impending disaster. So he believes that the Beatles' White Album was written for him and his quote-unquote family. And it's supposed to basically predict the whole uh, rebellion between, you know, the, the, the racial conflict between blacks and whites. So so that's where he's at right now. I mean, this is just like, okay, it, it's exactly like back in the 90s, the early 90s. I don't know if you had this in your school, but it was really big in my school. Everybody was into the Grateful Dead. Oh, it was like a hippie thing came back. You know how everything's trendy and and it comes back and then goes away and then comes back. Well, at this time, it was like the early 90s. I think it was like right after grunge. It was like the hippie scene came back and people were wearing tie dyes and go to Nelson's Ledges. That's like a popular. It's still super popular. And like they had Grateful Dead teddy bears. They're carrying around and everybody's Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead, man. It sounds something like that. Like to me, you know, like when they're like, you just don't understand Jerry Garcia. Like he's telling you what's going to happen in the future. Oh, right, man. right, right. Yeah. You know, I feel that drugs kind of play a role in all that. Oh, yeah, I mean, you it know, always does. Kind I mean, of, you know, it's Jerry Garcia. I mean, it's, what else would happen? You know, they, they wouldn't do it sober. It wouldn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly my point. You hear this? This right here is the apocalypse. It's coming in three years, November 15th, three years. You hear that? That's George Harrison. He's telling you, you need to stock up the bomb shelter. Oh, man. Do you hear it? I think the guitar is like... It's a machine gun. It's a gun. It's a, it's a gun full of bullets. And weeping means that it's mowing down everyone that stands in our path, man. It will kill everybody. So we need to get more girls. All the girls, man. All the girls. We need them all. And we need to find a movie set. And live there. That's amazing, man. Do you hear it? Can you tell? I hear it. He's telling you right now. Can you hear it? Yeah, you have any more of that LSD? (laughs) So that's pretty much what what, happened. Exactly. Exactly. In early January 1969, the family left the deserts cold and moved to a canary yellow home in canoga park not far from the spawn ranch because this locale would allow the group to remain quote submerged beneath the awareness of the outside world end quote manson called it the yellow submarine oh god worst song ever of course is another beatles reference a ringo song (laughs) (laughs) we all left (laughs) you think brian epstein was like he's like okay guys he's like we have 
13 songs. We need 14 to make it an album. <laughs> and Ringo's just like, I have a song called Yellow Submarine. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. Just put it on there. We don't have the money for the studio. Just right. throw it on there. In reality, they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Ringo, you get back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So their family members prepared for the impending apocalypse, which around the campfire had uh, uh, Manson had termed Helter Skelter after the song of that name. That's a Rolling Stone song too, right? Or did they cover the Beatles one? I would assume they covered the Beatles song. Yeah. Because Helter Skelter is definitely a Beatles song. I'm pretty sure. You know what? I have to look. I don't know. Why you're going? I'm going to look Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. By February, Manson's vision was complete. The family would create an album whose songs as subtle as those of the Beatles would trigger the predicted chaos. Ghastly murders of whites by blacks would be met with retaliation and a split between racist and non-racist whites would yield white self-annihilation. The Blacks' triumph, as it were, would merely precede their being ruled by the family, which would ride out the conflict in the, quote, in the bottomless pit, a secret city beneath Death Valley. So, you two, it is a Beatles song originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Motley Crue has done a version, which is probably amazing. Yeah. Uh, you two has done a version, which will probably put you to sleep. <laughs> and then Rob Zombie <laughs> and Marilyn Manson have done a version together. Nice. That sounds fun. Yeah. So at the Canoga Park House, while family members worked on vehicles and poured over maps to prepare for their desert escape, they also worked on songs for their world-changing album. Yes. When they were told Melcher was to come to the house to hear the material, the women prepared a meal and cleaned the place. However, however, Melcher never arrived. So so just setting the scene and reiterating what's going on here, um, they're talking about a, an apocalypse that's happening, and they're writing an album in the meantime. Yeah. So they're preparing for the apocalypse while writing an album. As you would do. Okay. I mean, just, just making sure we're all on the same page. I mean, if Apocalypse is ever going to happen, you need to write an album. Yeah. While it's going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, uh, at least that's what he does. What's that mustache? You need to take a tinkle. You'll be right back after this message. This episode of the Midnight Train Podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Vodka. 20 times distilled, made from pure cane sugar and handcrafted right here in Ohio. Vodka can be smooth and voodoo proves it. Drink it straight, chilled, or in your favorite mixed drink. Ask for it wherever you buy your favorite liquors or head over to voodoo.com and subscribe to their mailing list. While you're there, pick up some voodoo merchandise and use the promo code MIDNIGHTTRAINPODCAST, all one word, to get 10% off your entire order. That's voodoo, V-O-U-D-O-U-X.com, promo code Midnight Train Podcast for 10% off. And you can now buy this delicious vodka online. So order some today and drink with us whenever you listen to the show. Voodoo Vodka, it's magic. Well, it's time to return back to the show. I'm glad you stayed and didn't leave. Oh. And by the way, uh, I, I was talking to you before we started today that... Um, Voodoo is actually doing a, uh, they've got orange dip. Normally, they're, uh, the tops of their bottles are black yeah, the dipped. wax. Yeah, the wax on. Yeah. They're doing orange ones specifically like a, just for the Halloween season. It's awesome. So it's pretty awesome. So you guys get out there and check out voodoo.com, right? V-O-U-D-O-U-X.com. <laughs> get you some. Yeah, get some of that. Because it's, dude, I, I've been drinking that a lot lately, oh, yeah. actually. I have. Yeah, it's, if you drink enough of it, you're just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> So on May 18th, 1969, Terry Melcher visited Spawn Ranch to hear Manson and the women sing. 
Melcher arranged a subsequent visit not long thereafter, during which he brought a friend who possessed a mobile recording unit. Oh the, my God, like he actually liked it? Uh, or, or was he just... Afraid for his life? <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> but Melcher did not record the group. By June, Manson was telling the family they might have to show blacks how to start Helter Skelter. Uh-oh. When Manson was tasked, uh, Watson uh, with obtaining money, supposedly intended to help the family prepare for the conflict, Watson defrauded a black drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow. <laughs> Papa Giorgio? It's <laughs> Bernard Lotsapapa Crow is, huh. his, is his name. Yeah. Uh, Crow responded with a threat to wipe out everyone at Spawn Ranch. The family countered uh, on July 1st, 1969 by shooting Crow at Manson's Hollywood apartment. Ooh. Yeah. That's uh, one way to get rid of the competition there. Yikes. So Manson's belief that he had killed Crow was seemingly confirmed by a news report of the discovery of the dumped body of a Black Panther in Los Angeles. Doesn't sound like a good thing to be doing at that time. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, I would not suggest that. Although Crow was not a member of the Black Panthers, Manson concluded he had been uh, he had been and expected retaliation from the Panthers. He turned Spawn Ranch into a defensive camp with night patrols of armed guards. Quote, if we needed any more proof that Helter Skelter was coming down very soon, this was it, end quote. Tex Watson would uh, later write, in her quote, Blackie was trying to get at the chosen ones, end quote. Yikes. Black and dead. Yeah, so you got to remember the times. Yeah, listen, I that's a quote. I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That is a quote. Yeah. Um. So the murder of Gary Hinman, all right, committed by Bobby Boussoulet forever changed the course of the now. Bobby Boucher? H2O. It's high quality H2O. Something wrong with his medulla oblum. Got it. So it forever changed the course of the now infamous cult. At one time sold to followers as the embodiment of free love, the incident set Manson's cult on a path for the unparalleled brutality and violence that continues to captivate the world nearly 50 years after the fact. Boussoulet provided new details about the murder that started all as part of a two-hour Fox special, uh, quote, inside the Manson cult, The Lost Tapes, that aired in 2018. As part of the jailhouse interview, Boussoulet detailed Hinman's relationship to the family, the circumstances around the 34-year-old musician's death, and why Boussoulet felt he, quote, had no way out other than going forward with his brutal act. Quote, fear is not a rational emotion, and when it sets in, things get out of control, as they certainly did with Charlie and me. He said during the special. So yeah, this is this is one of uh, Charlie's dudes that he had kill some, someone else here. So just in case anyone's kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Hinman, a talented piano player who once played at Carnegie Hall, was described by his cousin as quote lost artistic soul. And according to People Magazine, one uh, who would uh, one who would wind up falling in with the wrong crowd and befriending the Manson family. Quote Gary was a friend. He didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him. And I am responsible for that, end quote. Boussoulet said from the California Medical Facility, a male prison where he's serving a life sentence. According to Diane Lake, who also participated in the TV special to discuss her times as a Manson devotee, family members had been to Henman's house several times before his murder. Boussoulet had purchased drugs from Henman during the summer of 1969. He sold them to another person who then complained about their quality, causing Boussoulet to need his money back. <laughs> Give my money back. That downtown Brown <laughs> bullshit. Man, I feel sick. <laughs> uh, quote, Bobby was driven over there to make it right with two girls that knew Gary very well. In fact, I think he had slept with both of them. 
Susan Atkins and Mary Bruner. Those are uh, both, uh, you know, Charlie's little sidekicks. Former follower Catherine Gypsy Share said during the special, but Henman didn't have the money. After Boussoulet and an aspiring actor and musician roughed Gary up a bit, they called Manson, who decided to come to the house with a samurai sword. Oh, boy. Yeah. When he arrived, Manson took the sword and made a swipe across Henman's face from his ear down to his cheek. Quote, it was bleeding a lot, John Douglas, a retired FBI agent who later interviewed Manson, said in the special. Boussoulet asked Manson why he had cut the man's face. Quote, or he said, quote, to show you how to be a man. <laughs> That's fucked up. His exact words, Boussoulet said, I will never forget that. According to Boussoulet, who at one time was given the nickname Cupid for his good looks, Aww. Aww. <laughs> he tried to patch the wound up and make things right. Henman, however, insisted on receiving medical attention, which is when things took a fatal turn. Quote, I knew if I took him, I'd end up going to prison. Gary would tell on me for sure, and he would tell on Charlie and everyone else, end quote. Boussoulet said it in the interview. Quote, it was at that point I realized I had no way out. According to the San Diego Union-Tribune, Hinman was tortured over three days before he was killed. Boussoulet, for his part, admitted to stabbing Hinman twice in the chest. The family reported using Hinman's blood to scribble the words political piggy on the wall after the murder, according to CBS News, and also included a panther paw to try and pin the slaying on the Black Panthers. What a oh, bunch of dicks. setting it up. Jesus. Uh, of course, because Manson wanted to incite a race war. That's what yeah. he wanted. Boussoulet, along with Bruce, 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 <laughs> Springsteen, Springsteen, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen. No, a Boussoulet, along with Bruce Davis, was later arrested for the murder. Boom! In the USA. <laughs> the murder catapulted the Manson family into a new level of violence. Although they had been training and preparing for a supposed race war for some time at Spawn Ranch, they had now become the aggressors and instigators of violence. This is when things start getting really dire. I mean, really murderous, like said during the Fox program. Several weeks later, Manson family followers would go on to murder Tate, writer uh, Wojcik Farkowski, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring, and Stephen Parent, who had come to visit the gardener on uh, Polanski's property. The next night, the group would break into the home of Lino and uh, Rosemary LaBianca and kill the couple. And we'll talk about that. Boussoulet was sentenced to death for his role in Hinman's murder, but the sentence was later commuted to life in prison. In January of 2019, he was recommended for parole during his 19th appearance before a parole board, according to CNN. His attorney, Jason Campbell, argued that he should be released from prison because he hasn't been a danger to society in decades. Quote, he has spent the last 50 years gradually growing, God damn it, <laughs> growing and improving himself, and in particular, over the last few decades, he's been pretty much a model inmate. However, California Governor Gavin Newsom later overruled the recommendation, keeping Boussoulet behind bars, the Associated Press reports. As he sat in his cell and reflected on his past crime, Boussoulet told the team behind the Fox special that he is filled with regret over the death of his one-time friend. Quote, what I've wished a thousand times that I had faced the music, he said. Instead, I killed him. It's pretty fucked up. All right. So this is it what is. started, like, you know, obviously. What, what was the, like, uh, why the Folgers heiress? 
They were all, uh, we're actually going to talk about it. They okay. were all in the same house together. So. so I'm like, while you're reading this, I'm looking up on the internet to yeah. try and see. I'm like, why the <laughs> fuck, why, why the coffee lady? Right. So let's talk about the Tate LaBianca murders. All right. So on the night of August 8th, 1969, Charles Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkle, and Linda Kasabian were sent by Charlie to the old home of Terry Melcher at uh, 1000 or 10050 Cielo Drive. Their instructions were to kill everyone at the house and make it appear like Henman's murder with words and symbols written in blood on the walls. Just remember, he put, you know, the piggy, political piggy, and had yeah. the paws, and they're trying to incite this riot or uh, the race war. As Charlie Manson had said earlier in the day after choosing the group, quote, now is the time for Helter Skelter, end quote. What the group did not know was that Terry Melcher was no longer residing in the home and that it was being rented by film direct- director Roman Polanski and his wife, actress Sharon Tate. Tate was two weeks away from giving birth, and Polanski was delayed in London while working on his film, The Day of the Dolphin. Because Sharon was so close to giving birth, the couple arranged for friends to stay with her until Polanski could get home. After dining together at the El Coyote uh, restaurant, Sharon Tate, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring, Folger Coffee heiress Abigail Folger, and her lover, oh, his name, sorry, Wojcik, Wojcik Fokowski, returned to the Polanski's home on Cleo Drive at around uh, 10.30 p.m. Wojcik fell asleep on the living room couch. Abigail Folger went to her bedroom to read, and Sharon Tate and Sebring were in Sharon's bedroom talking. All right, so you follow me so far? Yeah, and this is also in the movie, by the way. Oh, is it really? Yep. Oh, fuck. So so everyone out there, so all you uh, passengers listen to this, This is uh, it's going to get a little fucked up, and I, I, I do apologize, um, but... I mean, yeah. So turn it up. Wake up the kids. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> Just after midnight, Watson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Kasabian arrived at the house. Watson climbed a telephone pole and cut the phone line going to the Polanski's house. Just as the group entered the estate grounds, they saw a car approaching. Inside the car was 18-year-old Steve Parent, who had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Garriston. As Parent approached the driveway's electronic gate, he rolled down the window to reach out and push the gate's button, and Watson descended on him, yelling at him to halt. Seeing that Watson Watson was armed with a revolver and knife, Parent began to plead for his life. Unfazed, Watson slashed at Parent, then shot him four times, killing him instantly. That's the first one. After murdering Parent, the group headed for the house. Watson told Kasabian to be on the lookout for the front gate. Uh, The other three family members entered the Polanski home. Charles Tex Watson went to the living room and confronted Furkowski, who was asleep. Not fully awake, Furkowski asked what time it was, and Watson kicked him in the head. When Furkowski asked who he was, Watson answered, quote, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business, end quote. That's got to be fun to wake up to. Oh, boy. <laughs> Susan Atkins went to Sharon Tate's bedroom with a buck knife and ordered Tate and Sebring to go into the living room. She then went and got Abigail Folger. The four victims were told to sit on the floor. Watson tied a rope around Sebring's neck, flung it over a ceiling beam, and then tied the other side around Sharon's neck. Watson then ordered them to lie on their stomachs. When Sebring voiced his concerns that Sharon was too pregnant to lay on her stomach, Watson shot him and then kicked him while he died. Two. Knowing uh, now that the intent of the intruders was murder, the three remaining victims began to struggle for survival. Patricia Krenwinkel attacked Abigail Folger, and after being stabbed multiple times, Folger broke free and attempted to run from the house. Krenwinkel, Krenwinkel, such a weird name, followed close behind and managed to tackle Folger out on the lawn and stabbed her repeatedly. Three. Three. 
Inside, Furkowski struggled with Susan Atkins when she attempted to tie his hands. Atkins stabbed him four times in the leg, then Watson came over and beat Furkowski over the head with his revolver. Furkowski somehow managed to escape out into the lawn and began screaming for help. While the microbe scene was going on inside the house, all Kasabian could hear was screaming. She ran to the house just as Furkowski was escaping out the front door. According to Kasabian, she looked into the eyes of the mutilated man and uh, was horrified at what she saw. She told him that she was sorry. Minutes later, Furkowski was dead on the front lawn. Watson shot him twice, then stabbed him to death. 4. Seeing that Krenwinkel was struggling with Folger, Watson went over and the two continued to stab Ab Abigail mercilessly. According to killer's uh, statements, to the killer statements later given to the authorities, Abigail begged them to stop stabbing her, saying, quote, I give up, you've got me, and, quote, I'm already dead, end quote. This shit's pretty rough, folks, and I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the final victim at 10050 Cielo Drive was Sharon Tate. Knowing that her friends were likely dead, Sharon begged for the life of her baby. Unmoved, Atkins held Sharon uh, Tate down while Watson stabbed her multiple times, killing her. Atkins then used Sharon's blood to write pig on the wall. Atkins later said that Sharon Tate called out for her mother as she was being murdered and that she tasted her blood and found it, quote, warm and sticky. Yikes. According to, uh, according to the autopsy reports, uh, 102 stab wounds were found on the four victims. Talk about fucking overkill, dude. Yeah, 102. Jesus. Uh, 102 on four people. Yikes. You know what I mean? That's fucking insane. Now, that man. was Tex Watson and what, two or three other girls? That was Tex Watson, Susan Atkin, uh, Kren Weekel, and... Um, so there was four total. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kasabian was outside. So, and we'll talk about that. The next day, Manson, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Steve Grogan, Leslie Van uh, Houten, and Linda Kasabian went to the home of Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Manson and Watson tied up the couple, and Manson left. He told Van Houten, or Houghton, sorry, and Krenwinkel to go in and kill the LaBiancas. The three separated the couple and murdered them, then had dinner and a shower and hitchhiked back to Spawn Ranch. Manson, Atkins, Grogan, and Kasabian drove around looking for other people to kill, but failed. Man, God, imagine being the lucky bastard that they would. Well, find. just think about that. You like they, I mean? they were literally looking, just fucking driving around. Like, yeah, hey, we got to find fucking somebody. You know what I mean? Crazy. At Spawn Ranch, uh, at Spawn Ranch, rumors uh, of the group's involvement began to circulate. So did the police helicopters above the ranch, but because of an unrelated investigation. Parts of stolen cars were spotted in and around the ranch by police in the helicopters. On August 16, 1969, Manson and the family were rounded up by the police and taken in on suspicion of auto theft. You know, not unfamiliar with Manson because we know he loves his cars and especially yeah. going over fucking state lines and shit. The search warrant ended up being invalid because of a date error and the group was released. Okay. They just literally killed a bunch of people and, you know, yep. slept just slipped right through their fingers. Charlie blamed the arrest on Spawn Ranch Hand, uh, Ranch Hand Donald Shorty Shea for snitching on the family. It was no secret that Shorty wanted wanted the family off the ranch. Manson decided it was time for the family to move to Barker Ranch near Death Valley. But before leaving, Manson, Bruce Davis, Tex Watson, and Steve Grogan killed Shorty and buried his body behind the ranch. So the dude's on a fucking just rampage yeah. right now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just fucking out of his fucking mind. The family moved onto the Barker Ranch and spent time turning stolen cars into dune buggies. On October 10th, 1969, Barker Ranch was raided after investigators spotted stolen cars on the property and traced evidence of an arson back to Manson. 
Nance was not around during the first family roundup, but returned on October 12th and was arrested with seven other family members. When police arrived, Manson hid under a small bathroom cabinet, but was quickly discovered. You fucking little bitch. Right. Like, what a little bitch. Ugh. One of the biggest breaks in the case came when Susan Atkins boasted in detail about the murders to her prison cellmates. She gave specific details about Manson and the killings. She also told of other famous people the family planned on killing. Her cellmate reported the information to the authorities, and Atkins was offered a life sentence in return for her testimony. She refused the offer, but repeated the prison cell story to the grand jury. Later, Atkins recanted her grand jury testimony. Of course she did. Yeah. On September 1st, 1969, a 10-year-old boy in Sherman Oaks discovered a 22 caliber Longhorn revolver under a bush near his home. His parents notified the LAPD, who picked up the gun, but failed to make any connection between it and the Tate murders. In October, Inyo County officers raided Barker Ranch in a remote area south of Death Valley National Monument, 24 members of the Manson family were arrested, like we were talking about, um, uh, with the charges of arson and mm -hmm. grand theft and whatever. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Oh, there's a bunch of shit going on here. Hold on. I'm sorry. I lost my spot. I lost my spot. <laughs> <laughs> After her arrest, Atkins was housed at Dormitory 8000 in Los Angeles. Uh, on November 6th, she told another inmate, like we were talking about, she actually told him of a, quote, beautiful cat named Charles Manson. This is when she was blabbing and saying about all the killings. And just talking about the list of uh, celebrities and whatever. And about the same time, detectives on the LaBianca case interviewed Al Springer, a member of the Straight Satan bikers group that Manson had tried to recruit into the family. Straight Satan. Sounds like a good club. Yeah, they sound fun. They probably sit around just playing Parcheesi. Right. Drinking Diet Coke. Right. They don't yeah. do anything bad. Yeah, no. They, they, they're probably super nice. Word had leaked to the police that the Straight Satans might have some knowledge about who was responsible for another recent murder with several similarities to the LaBianca killings. Springer told detectives that Manson had bragged to him in August at Spawn Ranch after offering him his pick from among the 18 or so, quote, naked girls scattered around the ranch and about knocking off five people. When Springer told detectives that, Man uh, detectives that Manson had said the Tate killers, quote, wrote something on the refrigerator in blood, something about pigs, the detectives knew they might be onto something. Still, it struck, uh, probably because I would assume that it probably wasn't in the, um, it wasn't released yet. Yeah. So here he is saying that, you know, blabbered about this, which it wasn't on a refrigerator, it was actually on a wall, but he wasn't there. Right. You know so what I mean? confirming it, basically. So he he knew that it happened, but he just didn't know that, you know what I mean? So he's leaking. Yeah, he's he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, still, uh, it struck them as odd that anyone would confess to several myrtles. To, mur myrtles? Myrtles. <laughs> Myrtle, 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 Myrtle. Myrtles. I just see a bunch of old ladies named Myrtle walking around. <laughs> just fucking <laughs> just slapping the shit out of people. Myrtle. I was thinking of like a turtle. Yeah, Myrtle. Like a little turtle you named know? Myrtle. So anyway, why he would confess to several murders to someone that they uh, he barely knew. It took another member of the straight Satans, Danny DiCarlo, to move the focus of the investigation decisively to Charles Manson. DiCarlo told police he heard a Manson family member brag, quote, we got five piggies and that Manson had asked him what to use, quote, to decompose a body. Oh, yeah. So ugh. on November 18th, 1969, the district attorney and his staff selected Vincent Bugliosi to be the chief prospect or prospector prosecutor in the fucking in the Tate LaBianca case. Prospector. Yeah, they go, hey, I'm going to come in here and help you out out here. <laughs> Y'all looking for me? Is it Stinky Pete, the prospect <laughs> yeah. of Toy Story? <laughs> right. 
The choice was no doubt influenced by Bugliosi's <laughs> impressive record of winning 103 convictions and 104 felony trials. That's a pretty good fucking record. Yeah. The day after getting the Tate LaBianca assignment, Bugliosi joined in a search of the Spawn movie ranch where police gathered 22 caliber bullets and shell casings from a canyon used by family members for target practice. The next day, the search party moved on to isolated Barker Ranch, the most recent home of the family, on the edge of Death Valley. Uh, in the small house at Barker Ranch, Bugliosi saw the small cabinet under the sink where Manson was found hiding during the October raid. Little bitch. On an abandoned bus in a gully, investigators discovered magazines from World War II, all containing articles about Hitler. Oh, boy. Based on Ronnie Howard's account of Susan Atkins' jailhouse confession and interviews conducted with various Manson family members, the LAPD eventually identified the five persons who participated in the actual Tate and LaBianca murders. The suspects consisted of four women, all in their early 20s, and one man in his mid-20s. Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van Houten, Linda Kasabian, and Charles Tex Watson. Atkins remained in, uh, in custody at Dormitory 8000. Van Houten was picked up for questioning in California. Watson was arrested by a local sheriff in Texas. Patricia Krenwinkel was apprehended in Mobile, Alabama. Kasabian voluntarily surrendered, voluntarily surrendered to local police in Concord, New Hampshire. Well, she was probably the least culpable of it all, but I mean, she's yeah. still there, you know. I was going to say, imagine for back in that day, like tracking all those people down. You know what I mean? Like without the technology that, you know, we have now. Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a job. They did a, that's good. a lot of door to door interviewing, putting puzzle pieces together for, you know, well, I mean, this was a pretty high. Uh, what do you call a high priority, profile. high profile yeah. case? I mean, this was, you know, a freaking Roman Polanski's yeah, wife Tate, yeah. was killed. Pregnant wife. You yeah. know what I mean? Brutally murdered. Right. So, you know, damn well, they put every single effort in every thing they possibly could to catch their asses. What's that mustache? You need to take a tinkle. We'll be right back after this message. Well, it's time to return back to the show. I'm glad you stayed and didn't leave. Okay, so knowing that the convictions of at least some defendant, uh, some of the defendants would require testimony from one of those persons present at the murders, the DA's office first reached a deal with the attorney for Susan Atkins. They promised not to seek the death penalty in return for testimony before the grand jury, like we talked about earlier, plus consideration of a further reduction in charges for her continued cooperation during the trial. Atkins appeared before the grand jury on December 5th. She told the grand jury she was, quote, in love with the reflection of Charles Manson and that there was no limit to what she would do for him. Ooh. In an emotion in in a in an emotionless voice, she described the horrific events in the early morning hours of August 9th at the Tate residence. She told of Tate pleading for her life, quote, please let me go. All I want to do is have my baby, end quote. She described the actual murders, told of returning to the car and stopping along a side street to wash off bloody clothes with a garden hose and of Manson's reaction on the return to Spawn Ranch. Atkins said that on returning to Spawn Ranch, she, quote, felt dead. She added, I feel dead now. After 20 minutes of deliberations, the grand jury returned murder indictments against Manson, Watson, Krenwinkel, Atkins, Kasabian, and Van Houten. So they got him for like being the mastermind, basically, even though he wasn't oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. So, and, and that, that that's the whole thing about Manson. It's, he's just mind-fucked people his entire life to get him to do whatever he wanted them to do. Yeah. And since he was fucking insane, 
they did insane shit on his behalf. Yeah. You know? So when efforts to extradite Tex Watson, uh, Watson from, um, from uh, getting him to, uh, yeah, to extradite Tex Watson became bogged down in local Texas politics, the district attorney's office decided to proceed against the four persons indicted for the Tate LaBianca murders who were in custody in California. Jury selection began on June 15, 1970, in the eighth floor courtroom of Judge Charles Older in the Hall of Justice in Los Angeles. Manson's request to ask potential jurors, quote, a few simple childlike questions that are real to me in my reality, end quote, was denied. <laughs> oh, God, I wish I knew what those were. <laughs> man, I just wanted to, I, I got to ask him a couple questions, man. <laughs> you know, like, do you believe in Santa Claus? What color do unicorns fart, man? <laughs> During the voir dire, uh, the voir dire, Manson fixed his uh, penetrating stare for hours, first on Judge Older and then one day on Prosecutor Bugliosi. After getting Manson's stare treatment, Bugliosi took advantage of a recess to slide his chair next to Manson and ask, quote, what are you trembling about, Charlie? Are you afraid of me? Manson responded, quote, Bugliosi, you think I'm bad and I'm not, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Ooh. First of all, Bugliosi's kind of a badass. Yeah, sliding his chair up to this freaking dude and being like, yeah, you know, not even care. What's up, dude? Yeah. You you scared? You scared? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and him like, man, I'm I'm really not that bad, man. Yeah. So he went on to tell Manson that Atkins was quote just a stupid little bitch who told a story quote to get attention. Um. He went on to tell no, that's what Manson said about yeah about Atkins. Um, he told. Manson told Bugliosi that. Yeah. After a month of Wadir, a jury of seven men and five women was selected. The jury knew it would be sequestered for a long time, but it didn't know how long. As it turned out, their sequestration would last 225 fucking days. Oh, boy. Longer than any previous jury in history. How long was the OJ trial? Well, this was history... I don't know. I don't know yeah. how long. I, I, can't, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but this was up until then. Right, right. You know what I mean? So opening statements began on July 24th. Manson entered the courtroom sporting a freshly cut bloody X on his forehead, signifying, he said in a statement that, quote, I have X'd myself from your world. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Fucking nut job. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Bugliosi, in his opening statement for the prosecution, indicated that his, quote, principal witness would be Linda Kasabian, a Manson family member who accompanied the killers to both the Tate and LaBianca residences. The prosecution turned to Kasabian with a promise of prosecutorial immunity for her testimony when Susan Atkins, probably in response to threats from Manson, announced that she would not testify at the trial. So Atkins is taking her shit back. Bugliosi promised the jury that the evidence would show Manson had a motive for the murders that was, quote, perhaps even more bizarre than the murders themselves, end quote. On July 27th, Bugliosi announced, quote, the people call Linda Kasabian. Manson's attorney, fabled obstructionist Irving Canerick, immediately sprung up with an objection. Quote, object, Your Honor, on the grounds this witness is not competent and is insane. He's just, he's trying to play every card he's got left because he knows. <laughs> just think it's hilarious you know? that, that, that he's defending Manson and he jumps up and calls this girl insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jeez. Um... Calling Canerick to the bench and telling him uh, him his conduct, conduct was outrageous, Judge Older denied the objection, and Kasabian was sworn as a witness. She would remain on the stand for an astounding 18 days. 
including seven days of cross-examination by Kanarik. That's a lot. That's a long fucking time. Kasabian told the jury that no family member ever refused an order from Charles Manson. Quote, we always wanted to do anything and everything for him. After describing what she saw of the Tate murders, Kasabian was asked by Bugliosi about the return to Spawn Ranch. Quote, was there anyone in the parking area at Spawn Ranch as you drove in the Spawn Ranch area? Yes. Who was there? Charlie. Was there anyone there other than Charlie? Not that I know of. Where was Charlie when you arrived at the premises? About the same spot he was in or he was in when we first drove away or when he first drove away. Um, what happened after you pulled the car into the parking area and parked the car? Sadie said she saw a spot of blood on the outside of the car when we were at the gas station. Who was present at that time when she said that? The four of us and Charlie. What is the next thing that happened? Well, Charlie told us to go into the kitchen, get a sponge, wipe the blood off, and he also instructed Katie and I to go all through the car and wipe off the blood spots. What is the next thing that happened after Mr. Manson told you and Katie to check out the car and remove the blood? He told us to go into the bunk room and wait, which we did. I'm telling you, man, this motherfucker just had everyone... <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Mind it's, fucked. It's, it's mind-blowing. Mind-fucked. Kasabian also offered her account of the night of the LaBianca murders. She testified that she didn't want to go, but went anyway. Quote, because Charlie asked me and I was afraid to say no. Kasabian proved a very credible witness, despite the best efforts during cross-examination of defense attorneys to make her appear a spaced-out hippie. After admitting that she took LSD about 50 times, oh boy, <laughs> woo, Kasabian was asked by Kanarek, quote, describe what happened on trip number 23. <laughs> quote, other defense questions explored her beliefs in ESP and witchcraft or focused on the vibrations she claimed to receive from Manson. So they're just trying to get her just to all be a wacko. Right. Yeah. They're trying to discredit the shit out of her. A major distract, uh, distraction from Kasabian's testimony came on August 3rd. Hey, it's my birthday again. Ooh. Hey. Ooh. I find these to be in here a lot. I yeah. wonder what that means. What's the, what's the sign? I don't know. Anyway, when Manson stood before the jury and held up a copy of the Los Angeles Times with the headline, quote, Manson guilty, Nixon declares. Ooh. The defense moved for a mistrial on the grounds that the headline prejudiced the jury against the defense, but Judge Older denied the motion after each juror stated under oath that he or she would not be influenced by the president's reported declaration of guilt. Because, first of all, it's fucking Nixon who gives a shit. Yeah, but you know back then, <laughs> if the president's calling, he's going to make it happen. Oh, yeah. Behind closed doors, you know what I mean? I am not a crook, Yeah, but that motherfucker Manson is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we remember when Forrest caught him going through all the paperwork in the building next door, <laughs> yeah. right? I do remember that. <laughs> Forrest was a hero. Lieutenant Dan said we don't have to worry about money. I said, that's good. <laughs> Testimony corroborating that of Kasabian came from several other prosecution witnesses. Mostly notable, most notably, the woman Atkins confided in at Dormitory 8000, Virginia Graham, who we talked about. Other witnesses described receiving threats from Manson, evidence of Manson's total control over their lives of family members, or con uh, conversations which Manson had told of the coming Helter Skelter. 19-year-old Paul Watkins, Manson's foremost recruiter of young women, provided key testimony about the strange motive for the Tate-LaBianca murders, including its link to the Bible's Book of Revelation. Well, boy, here we go. Watkins testified that Manson discussed Helter Skelter constantly. Bugliosi asked Watson how Helter Skelter would start. Quote, There would be some atrocious murders that some of the spades 
from Watts would come up into the Bel Air and Beverly Hills district and just really wipe some people out. Just cut bodies up and smear blood and write things on the wall in blood and cut little boys up and make parents watch. So in retaliation, this would scare. In other words, all the other white people would be afraid that this would happen to them. So out of their fear, they would go into the ghetto and just start shooting black people like crazy. But all they would shoot would be the garbage man and Uncle Tom's and all the ones that were with Whitey in the first place. And underneath it all, the black Muslims, would he uh, would he would know that it was coming down or he would know it was coming down. Wow. It's fucked up. <laughs> and so uh, Bugliosi says, Helter Skelter was coming down? She says, yes. So after Whitey goes into the ghettos and shoots all the Uncle Toms, then the black Muslims come out and appeal to the people by saying, look what you have done to my people. And this would split Whitey down the middle between all the hippies and the liberals and all the uptight piggies. This would split them in the middle and a big civil war would start and really split them up in all these different factions. And they would just kill each other off in the meantime through their war. And after they killed each other off, then there would be a few of them left who supposedly won. He goes, a few of who left? She says, a few white people left who supposedly won. Then the black Muslims would come out of hiding and wipe them all out. He says, quote, wipe the white people out? She says, yes, by sneaking around and slitting their throats. So then he goes, did Charlie say anything about where he and the family would be during this Helter Skelter? Recording an album. <laughs> You're right. right. <laughs> Writing records. Yeah. She says, yes. When he was in the desert the first time, Charlie used to walk around in the desert and say, you see, there are places where water would come up to the top of the ground and then it would go down and there wouldn't be no more water. And then it would come up again and go down again. He, <laughs> <laughs> this is a quote. He would, he, would, <laughs> he would look at that and say, there's got to be a hole somewhere, somewhere here, a big old lake. And it just really got far out that there was a hole underneath there somewhere where you could drive a speedboat across it, a big underground city. Then we started from the Revolution 9 song in the Beatles album, which was interpreted by Charlie to mean Revelation 9. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's crazy. It is so crazy. So when the trial resumed three days later, the defense startled courtroom spectators and the prosecution by it. Uh, Imagine the, being on the jury, just sitting there like <laughs> your jaw on the fucking floor. Like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. So the defense startled everybody in here by announcing, um, without calling a single witness, the defense rests. <laughs> so the defense didn't have shit. Yeah. They knew they were fucked. So, I mean, suddenly the three female defendants began shouting that they wanted to testify because they knew they were fucked. Yep. In chambers, attorneys for the women explained that although their clients wanted to testify, they were strongly opposed, believing that they would, still under the powerful influence of Manson, testify that they planned and committed the murders without Manson's help. Returning to the courtroom, Judge Older declared that the right to testify took precedence and said that the defendants could testify over the objections of their counsel. Atkins was then sworn as a witness, but her attorney, Day Shin, um, refused to question her. Returning to Chambers, uh, one defense attorney complained that questioning their clients on the stand would be like, quote, aiding and abetting a suicide. They're basically just trying, they don't want to freaking, Yeah. they know they're going to go in there and say whatever the fuck it is that's going to fucking help old Charlie out here. You know right, what I mean? Right, The next day came under uh, came another surprise. Charles Manson announced that he too wished to testify before his co-defendants did. He testified first without the jury being present so that potentially excludable testimony relating to evidence incriminating co-defendants might be identified before it prejudiced the jury. His over one hour of testimony full of digressions 
fascinated observers. You, would you like to hear some of this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never went to school, so I never growed up to read and write too good. So I have stayed in jail and I have stayed stupid and I have stayed a child while I have watched your world grow up. And then I look at the world or the things that you do and I don't understand. This is These are his, his words. Yeah. Quote, you eat meat and you kill things. And this is what we heard earlier, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. That are better than you are. And then you say how bad and even killers your children are. You made your children what they are. These children that come at you with knives, they are your children. You taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. Most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want. Oh, this is, I'm sorry. This is, <laughs> I'm going back and forth. Uh, this is Bugliosi. Uh, most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want. People that were alongside the road that their parents had kicked out that did not want to go to juvenile hall. Um, oh, no, he, this is, I'm sorry. This is him still talking. Yeah. So he said, um, that, you know, that, that society didn't want them. Right. So he, he was, was taking like them the, the misfit right. toys. Island of misfit toys. Right. So he says, so I did the best I could and took them up on my garbage dump and told them this, that in love, there is no wrong. So he just goes on and on. <laughs> First to this is garbage dump. Yeah, it is garbage dump. Yeah. So, I mean, he just he oh just goes God. on and on and on and on. Oh, here you go. Um, oh, this, this one's really funny. Hold on. Let me find it again. And this guy is reproduced. Oh, yeah. The three, three kids, right? Times. All right. So this one, he says, quote, Mr. Bugliosi is a hard driving prosecutor, polished education and master of words, semantics. He is a genius. He has got everything that every lawyer would want to have except one thing, a case. He doesn't have a case. Were I allowed to, were I allowed to defend myself, I could have proven this to you. The evidence in this case is a gun. There was a gun that laid around the ranch. It belonged to everybody. Anybody could have, uh, could have picked that gun up and done anything they wanted to with it. I don't deny having that gun. That gun has been in my possession many times. Like the rope was there because you need rope on a ranch. It is really convenient that Mr. Um, Mr. Baggett found those clothes. I imagine he got a little taste of money for that. They put the hideous bodies on display and they imply if he gets out, see what will happen to you. Helter Skelter means confusion, literally. It doesn't mean any war with anyone. It doesn't mean that some people are going to kill other people. Helter Skelter is confusion. Confusion is coming down around you fast. If you can't see the confusion coming down around you fast, you can call it what you wish. Is it a conspiracy that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment because the establishment is rapidly destroying things? Is that a conspiracy? The music speaks to you every day, but you are too deaf, dumb, and blind to even listen to the music. It is not my conspiracy. It is not my music. I hear what it relates. It says rise. It says kill. Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. He's using his Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> like, dude, it's just, he's fucking, what the fuck? So wow. at, at the conclusion of Bugliosi's brief cross-examination of Manson, Older asked Manson if he now wished to testify before the jury. He replied, quote, I have already relieved all the pressure I had. <laughs> Manson left the stand as he walked by the counsel table. He told his three co-defendants, quote, you don't have to testify now. So he was trying to protect them. Yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, there remained one last frightening surprise of the Tate-LaBianca murder. Uh, a murder trial. When the trial resumed on November 30th, following Manson's testimony, Ronald Hughes, defense attorney for Leslie Van Houten, failed to show. A subsequent investigation revealed he had disappeared over the weekend while camping in the remote Sespe Hot oh, Springs how area. Yeah. It is widely believed that Hughes was uh, ordered murdered by Manson for his determination to pursue a defense strategy at odds with the favor 
uh, with that favored by Manson. How old was Hillary Clinton around this time? She'd been waiting. She, no, she was alive. Yeah. Yeah, she was alive. Yeah, funny that one went missing. Huh? <laughs> Starting off young. <laughs> Hughes had made uh, clear his hope to show that Van Houten was not acting independently, as Manson suggested, but was completely controlled by her actions by Manson. So this freaking attorney wound up missing. So Manson's defense attorney, Irving Canarak, argued to the jury that the female defendants committed the Tate and LaBianca murders out of uh, a love of the crime's true mastermind, the absent Tex Watson. So they're trying to put it on Tex. Canarak suggested that Manson was being persecuted because of, quote, his lifestyle. He argued that the prosecution's theory of a motive was uh, fanciful. His argument lasted seven days, prompting Judge Older to call it, quote, no longer an argument but a filibuster. And uh, for those people out there wondering what a filibuster is, that's where you can sit there in court and talk and talk and talk and talk. Yep. And, and wear down the clock and, and the people can, and the people give up. Yes. And you could just fucking tear it down. So Bugliosi's powerful sum, uh, summation described Charles Manson as the, uh, oh, what the fuck is this word? Mephistophelian. All right. I got it. Mephistophelian. Mephistophelian. Whatever. Guru who, quote, sent out from the fires of hell at Spawn Ranch three heartless, bloodthirsty robots, and, unfortunately for him, one human being, the little hippie girl, Linda Kasabian. Bugliosi ended his summation with, quote, Roll Call of the Dead. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Sharon Tate, Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frakowski, uh, Jay Sebring, Stephen Parent, Lino Labianco, Rosemary Labianca, are not here with us in this courtroom, but from their graves they cry out for justice, end quote. That was his final thing. Pretty powerful. The jury deliberated a week before returning its verdict on January 25th, 1971. The jury found all defendants guilty on each count of first-degree murder. After hearing additional evidence in the penalty phase of the trial, the jury completed its work by sentencing each of the four defendants to death on March 29th. As the clerk read the verdict, Manson shouted, quote, You people have no authority over me. <laughs> Show you. <laughs> kind of does. I mean, yeah. they kind of do. Sorry. Yeah. Patricia Crane-Winkle declared, quote, you have judged yourselves. Susan Atkins says, and this is a good one. Susan Atkins said, quote, better lock your doors and watch your own kids. Oh, boy. Yikes. Leslie Van Houten complained, quote, the whole system is a game. The trial was over at over nine months, and it had been the longest and most expensive in American history. Wow. So the death sentences imposed by the Tate LaBianca jury would never be imposed thanks to a California Supreme Court ruling in 1972 declaring the state's death penalty law unconstitutional. Ah. The death sentences uh, for the four convicted defendants, as well as for Tex Watson, who had been convicted and sentenced to death in a separate trial in 1971, were commuted to life in prison. Patricia Krenwinkel, now 72, became California's longest-serving female inmate. According Her whole life. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. According to state prison officials, Krenwinkel is a model inmate involved in rehabilita rehabilitative uh, programs at the prison. She will be eligible to apply for parole again in 2022. Patricia Kren... Uh, did I say that one? No. Oh, I said the wrong damn one. Uh, what is her name in here? Uh, I can't remember what her damn name is. Sorry, I screwed that one up. Anyway, uh, one of the other women, now 70, is serving her life sentence at the California Institution for uh, Women in Corona. Prison officials say and has been uh, disciplinary free her entire sentence. She is still considered uh, to present a, quote, unreasonable threat to society. So they're not letting any of these people yeah, she's out. She's permanent wackadoodle. Yeah. Charles Tex Watson, now 74, is housed at the R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego County near the Mexican border, where he walks the track sharing, quote, sharing my faith relating to many men. 
according to the ministry's web website. He has been denied parole 17 times. A state panel in 2016 once again found him unsuitable for release from prison for at least five more years. In prison, Watson married, divorced, fathered four children, and became an ordained minister. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. How do you father four children? I guess they had well, uh, they have the, uh, conjugal visits. visits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Susan Atkins, dubbed the scariest of all the girls by a former prosecutor, died in prison in 2009 at the age of 61. All right, so Charles Manson was incarcerated in a maximum security section of state penitentiary in uh, California. He's been de- denied parole uh, se- uh, 12 times, most recently in 2012. Um, his next uh, parole hearing was scheduled for 2027. In prison, he had assaulted uh, prison staff a half a dozen times. A search of the prison chapel where Manson took a job in 1980 revealed his hidden cache, including marijuana, 100 feet of nylon rope, and a mail-order catalog for hot air balloons. In 1986, he published his story, Manson in His Own Words. In his book, Manson claims, quote, My eyes are cameras. My mind is tuned to more television channels than exist in your world, and it suffers no censorship. Through it, I have a world and the universe as my own. All three female defendants have expressed remorse for their crimes. Uh, they've been exemplary, uh, exemplary uh, inmates and offered their time for charity work. Yet none have um, been released, like we are talking about, by the California Pro- uh, Parole Board, even though each of them was young and clearly under Manson's powerful influence at the time of their crimes. There is no question that, but for the unfortunate connection with Charles Manson, would, would, none would have uh, committed any murder. You know what I mean? They're basically saying that they probably never would have killed anybody if it yeah. wasn't for this fuckstick. Puppets in the game. Right. It is sad but undoubtedly true that parole boards are political bodies that base decisions as much upon anticipated public reaction to their decisions as on a careful review of a parole um, applica- uh, applicant's prison record and statements. In other words... They're worried about what people are going to say about it. Yeah. In November... Uh, okay. Oh, the, this, this is a really funny story. We're getting close to the end here. <laughs> this is a really funny story. So in November 2014, the California Department of Corrections announced that it had received a request for a marriage license from their famous 80-year-old prisoner. Talking about, oh, Chucky Manson. I remember this. Do you I really? Remember, I remember when it was on the news when I was younger. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yep. So Manson's bride-to-be was Afton Elaine Burton, nicknamed Star, a 26-year-old woman who had worked for Man- uh, for Manson's release. So she was, you know, working and trying to get him out. Turns out that the few short years before Manson's death, Star Burton was actually planning to secure the legal rights to his corpse in order to display it for curious observers in a glass crypt for profit. He never did marry her or give his consent to display his remains. Instead of tying the knot and while stringing Star along, he was busy, quote, making little dolls, but they were like voodoo dolls of people, and he would stick needles in them, hoping to injure the live person the doll was fashioned after, <laughs> said former L.A. County prosecutor Stephen Kay, who helped convict Manson in 1970. Quote, he said his main activity was making those dolls. So he sat in prison making voodoo dolls. I have no doubt. <laughs> so the end came for Charles Manson on Sunday, November 19th, 2017 at 8.13 p.m., at the age of 30, or 83, 38, (laughs) at 83, the official cause of death was acute cardiac arrest, respiratory failure, and uh, metastatic colon cancer. Upon his death, newspapers across the uh, country seemed to have cheered over Manson's passing. For instance, the New York Daily News published a front cover spread that read, quote, burn in hell, bloodthirsty cult leader Manson dies at 83. Others followed suit with brazen titles such as, quote, 
Evil Dead, Make Room Satan, Charles Manson is Finally Going to Hell from the New York Post. Wow. So lastly, four months after the death of Manson, his cremated remains were scattered along the California hillside. Friends, old and new, were in attendance, including family members and longtime Manson supporter, Sandy Good. Um, rotten hell, you son of a bitch. Who is Sandy Good? Uh, just a fr- uh, family friend oh. and whatever, yeah, but she's the one that took the... Uh, I don't know. She was in, she was in attendance for when they scattered his ashes. I was gonna say it would be funny if she went to spread the ashes and it flew back in her face. Yeah, then... they should have <laughs> fucking pissed in those. Ashes. Anyway, so that is Charles Manson. You, you know, I can only say this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty fucked up, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know, man. It's. Yeah, I heard. All, I've heard stories over the years. I never knew this much detail. And like I said, I've watched that movie, but I I, I don't understand. I, I'm fascinated how he does this Jedi mind trick with people. Like, maybe it's just because he keeps talking and it's so nonsensical that, like, people are just, like, they're trying so hard to understand him that they fall into, like, this trance. You know what I mean? I think he finds just the people who or are... a weakness in them or something? They're weak. They're weak-minded. They, they, they weak-willed. Well, he did say that a lot of those girls were on the side of the road, you right. know, runaways. And, and I think he and, capitalized on that. He was a he was a piece of shit. He was yeah. a piece of shit that saw that. Because he doesn't sound intelligent by his quote. Like you listen to his quotes and it sounds like the guy is mental. He's fucking insane. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's batshit crazy. He is fucking white but peanut butter on your ass and roll around crazy. All those fought like the whole family on the ranch. Oh, the yeah. Like that's that's a lot of people to. It almost makes you worry that people are there's a lot of dumb people. <laughs> there are psychos, you know what I mean? Like, which is worse? Know. Yeah, yeah. Being a psycho or being yeah, like, stupid? Yeah, like Manson worse, or is like the twenty-eight people that were in his family worse? You know uh, what I mean? Man, I think that he was first of all, he was a master manipulator, and yeah. that's what he did, and he knew how to do that, and he found susceptible people, and he used his manipulation to corrupt them and no. destroy their 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 selves. Let's be real. If we're gonna blame anybody, it's got to be the mother for trying to trade him for beer, right? I mean, and you can do that. Catalyst to the fire. You can do that. You can go all the way back, and you can look at. Okay, it's the nature versus nurture. Did mom? Yeah. If okay, was he born bad, or do you think that mom, if she would have been, let's just say she didn't leave him there, she wasn't an alcoholic, she, you well, know, yeah, nurtured him and everything else. He would have grown up and learned right from wrong. He would have had morals. You know, he would have respect and whatnot. Now, granted, there are cases where people still go the far and beyond, even with being raised normal. It's happened to a lot of, I mean, you're all into the serial killers and whatnot. I'm Absolutely. sure there's plenty of them. There's but a lot of them, yeah. For back in that time, you know what I mean? If he didn't have such a psycho wacko mom, I don't I don't know. Who knows? We'll never know. You right. Know? Well, I tell you what, you know what I want to know? I want to know what our passengers think. Do you guys think that, uh, that his mother, that Manson's mother was the I mean, catalyst, the start of this, that her her just fucked up bullshit and trying to fucking trade him for a pitcher of beer. <laughs> Do you think that that's what did it? I mean, look at Jason Voorhees, right? Granted, that's a, a story. But look at Michael Jackson. Joe Jackson beat the shit out of him mentally and physically the whole time he was a kid. And Michael Jackson was a weird fucker. I mean, talented, yes, yes. But weird, absolutely. There's, there's, you see the pattern here? Like, it's, it's oh, all these people that are raised fucked up 
become these monsters. Yeah, I mean, and it's the again, there's a huge debate between the nature versus nurture thing. There's those on the side that they, you know, people are born bad and that they just no matter what you do, and it's the same people you were talking about, the ones that are treated well, and then they just go and fucking slaughter yeah. a bunch of fucking people. Well, they got some crossed wires. You know what I mean? Right. There's nothing you could do about that. So there's that. And then there's the nurture one where, like, seemingly, you know, horrible people who had horrible past, maybe, maybe they would have been different if they had a different. But we don't know. We, we There's no way for us to know. Right. You know what I mean? There's no way. But I will say this. If anything, this should tell all of you passengers out there. Be nice to your kids. Yeah, don't trade them for beer. Don't trade them for beer. Moody, don't trade them. All right, passengers. Well, we really hope you enjoyed your ride with us on Charles fucking Manson. He's he's uh, he's a household name. I mean, everybody knows Charles Manson. Yeah. At least from like most, our most generation. People. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most know. people. I will say, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, um, fuck him. <laughs> right. Truthfully, fuck him. Fuck him. Yeah. And I want to know what you guys think. Do you guys think fuck Charles Manson? Because... I mean, I'd like to know why in, in, or why not. And maybe there's some people out there like, no, yeah. man, like, fuck him, man. He was like, nah, he was super cool and out there. Because there's people out there that still think this guy was like something. And, and I'd like to know why. I, w- I would. Or I'd like to know why you think, or do you agree with us? It's because their views are different. They see things differently like he did. You know what I mean? He, he, fight, he found fucking hidden language in Beatles songs that make no sense, right? Because he was... Yeah, and people and they were high as kites. Right. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the drugs definitely helped. Yeah, big time. <laughs> so you guys keep sending over your episodes ideas or your episode ideas. Keep uh, voting when you can on these things. We we post up stuff all the time, and uh, we we've got a lot of really cool shit planned for, um, especially for the month of October leading up to Halloween. We do, which I'm super freaking excited about. But you guys can uh, go over to our Facebook page. Um, you can uh, Twitter. Uh, Instagram, please follow us on uh, all those. You can find us at the Midnight Train Podcast on um, Instagram and on Facebook or over at on Twitter. It's the Midnight Train PC, or you can always go over to the Midnight Train Podcast.com and you'll find all those little links up there. So that'd be really awesome if you did that. Plus, at our website, you guys can buy some super sweet merchandise. Could have got a free shirt. Could have got a could have got a free shirt. You son of a bitch. Oh, and hey, speaking of crazy, no, I'm not going to do that. That's fucked up. You know who he could have used? Who? Charles Manson. You know who he could have used? Who? He could have used the National Association on Mental Illness. He could have. He could have. But he it wasn't around back then, was it? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. So what we do when you guys buy merchandise is we donate 10% of every sale to the National Association of Mental Illness that Charles Manson could have definitely fucking used. Uh, so if you or, uh, or someone you know is struggling with any mental health issues, call the NAMI helpline at 1-800-950-6264, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, or in a crisis, text NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741 because mental health is no joke. But then you again, can tell. He, he did get help at one point. Remember the psychiatrist was like, yeah, he's uh, everything. Yeah, <laughs> he's all the things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's all the things. And I'm just saying maybe if he got the help, you know. So, you know, it's a fucked up time right now. But hopefully there's no Charles Manson's floating around out there right now listening to the show. And if you are, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Didn't mean to make fun of you. Watch the movie if you guys get a chance. It's a long movie. I think it's like two hours and, I don't know, 30 minutes. It's like one of the longest Tarantino movies ever. What's it called again? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Cool. You guys watch that. Let us know what you think about it. 
And listeners keep asking how they can help keep the steam in our engines. Well, if you like what you hear from us, consider being a producer of the show by heading over to TheMidnightTrainPodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon button or at uh, Patreon.com forward slash TheMidnightTrainPodcast. Did I hear correctly that there's going to be uh, a debate reenactment on I, the Patreon channel? I did hear there's a possible for Patreon producers there. They may hear a uh, very... Uh, a different an ad- kind of debate. Adaptation? An ad- let's call it an adaptation. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I, I, I think it should be pretty good. I'm I'm titillated. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. So for as little as five bucks a month, uh, you can get all kinds of shit like a custom shirt, custom poster, custom sticker, bonus episodes like the Day the Music Died series, and way more. Uh, there's also a dollar um, option on there. Now, you don't get the bonus episodes, but it does show that you actually like what we do and you're supporting us. Uh, so if you're a diehard uh, Midnight Train fan and you want to help produce this motherfucker, our Patreon is for you. And even the dollar um, tier on our Patreon, I will mention your name and because you're fucking awesome for and doing that. You can get a free t-shirt. I'm not going to tell you how. You're going to have to go back to last week's episode. <laughs> right. And learn. And yeah. listen to it. The, and then you're going to find the clues in there on how to get a free t-shirt. Right. So for those of you that would rather leave us a one-time donation, you can head over to PayPal and use the email address, the midnight train podcast at gmail.com. Just because you guys are like, you know what? These guys are fucking awesome. I'm going to leave them 50 pesos. I was going to say $5,000, but I mean, if you want to go pesos, okay. But anyway, whatever you guys can, you know, can do, because it really does help us out and helps us pay for things that we got to take care of, because these things do take, it takes a lot of work to run yeah, this fucking just, thing. Just it so really you, does. Just so you guys know, we don't actually take the money. We put it into equipment. We put it into a web space. Oh, 100%. We put it into everything. Marketing, like, we don't see a dime of it. Yeah, so. absolutely. It goes to the show. Yep. So it's not going in our pockets. That's why we call you producers. That's right. You're producing this motherfucker. Also, you can easily like, subscribe, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. And most importantly, share the Midnight Train to everyone. It takes only a couple of minutes. And word of mouth is how we're going to get more passengers on this train and continue to bring you weekly episodes. We honestly uh, can't thank you guys enough for all the love and support we have received. You guys really have no idea how important it is to us and how cool it is that you do support us the way you do. It's fucking badass. I think about it all the time, man. I'm just like, man, yeah. it's fucking cool. Yeah. You know, and we've been musicians forever and I feel like this. We've never cool. gotten more. Yeah. yeah this is, this, this is, we get way more love oh, yeah. from this and I yeah. love it. It's so freaking. Except nobody did the free t-shirt thing. I'm really upset about that. Well, well. I'm going to bring it up a lot. Would you look at that? <laughs> I was doing that this weekend. I just, you can't help it after you hear it now. And it's, I don't know. I think I can't remember what something was happening. I was, I think I was taking my son home. And there was like an airplane in the sky. And I was like, would you look at this? Look at that. Would you look at that? Just look at it. And he's like, what? what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> so listen, a big fucking midnight train shout out to, and I don't have the damn button here because Moody's not here again. There it is. There's my drum roll. <laughs> to Tess, Heidi, Kalen, Kevin, Matt, Deanna, Christopher, Jacqueline, Katie, Michaela, Ramsey, Tamar, Tommy Speakerbox, The Sister Skeleton. Make sure you check out The Sister Skeleton Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Riley, Diane, Alina, Stephanie, Julie, Laura, Cynthia, Kirsten, Dawn, Nicola, Caitlin, Chanel, Alex, Emily Ann, Son of Vasco, Alicia, Frandipai, Danny, Melissa, Grace, Stormy, Eva, Melissa, Wayne, Victoria, Hager, Sean, Chainsaw. Wow. <laughs> Jigsaw, Bill, son, Colin, uh, Todd, David, V, 
Ah, uh, that's David Vallow, you sexy son of a bitch. Juan <laughs> Belen, Ken and Brad at Voodoo Vodka, Chef Kevin, Katie Brabenick, Davy, our Mexican Vato, and a very fucking special thank you to our superhero Patreon producers, Chad Flint, Cheryl Pierce, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from the Fun Box Podcast, Christina Skelton, Maria Gibbs, Jessica Bartolome, Bill Birch, and Samantha Pickworth. Now listen, if you guys want your name mentioned at the end of the show, just sign up as a member on our website or become a Patreon producer. If you're a Patreon producer, of course, you get the end. You get the, 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 the let the, what is it, the, uh, the save the best for last at the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But even just signing up for free on our website, we'll definitely mention your name on here because you guys are fucking awesome and you're, you're the reason we do what we do, right? Absolutely. Jeff. 110%. <laughs> Ooh. I'm going 10% over 100. That's a lot. That's 110. That's a lot. I wish someone would give me 10% over 100. Right? Dollars. Every day forever that would be amazing it would be amazing you have to drop lsd like manson whoa and man <laughs> listen as always shoot you motherfuckers tonight in the box car we have the sky pilots demo of their new song listen closer thanks for listening passengers oh and i agree fuck charles manson <laughs>